2: Oh man. <laughs> we're just going to
3: start that. Did you hey, watch? If you're going to
2: kick us if you're going to kick us while we're down, I'm going to I'm going to shout when we're up. And yes, I watched every moment.
3: And they looked good?
2: They did. They really
3: did. Are you telling me that you think today and maybe moving forward that the Indianapolis Colts are indeed deriving a source of strength because they are powered by This is for the guy who said that the pig siren call has run its course. Pigs, stick it up your ass. Pigs. That
2: was a solid one. We got destroyed on that thread.
3: Yeah, I want to, let's talk about it for a second. Not too much. I know, but here's what I want to say about it. You're right. We shouldn't focus on it. And by the way, we've gotten a lot of great support from people that are like, don't mind the haters. But here's what bugs me. Oh, boy. (laughs) Of course, the internet, social media, it is all just filled with negativity.
2: Vitriol.
3: Yes, it is just a cesspool for unhappy, cynical, negative people to spew their shit and feel like they're having their voice heard. You know, it, it gives them something. Yeah, and when you respond to them, I know. their voice hey, it, shut up. Vali- it validates to. that. You well, responded I, to.
2: Finally, finally.
3: But here is okay. what I want to say what, what bothers me about it. Okay. It's not that I want to, like, prove them wrong, because there is, you can't argue with a fool. So they're, 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 it's not that. When we started this thing, and for a long time, we were in this like bubble of just everybody was kind of like, oh, wow, thanks, guys. We love what you're doing. Like, just we love that you're talking to these people that we would love to talk to. So, and, and we would see these people back in Bloomington, and it's just a big love fest. And over the last several months, there has been this negative strain that has creeped into what we do. And... It bugs me because... Wait,
2: not, not what we do, how people are re- responding or reacting to it.
3: Yeah, I'm saying it has creeped into our world, okay, through yes. Twitter and through Pigs message boards, and it bugs me because we only do this because we love Indiana basketball and we love Indiana University. It is like, besides our families and, you know, obviously my girlfriend and beyond that, it is our love. It is the love of our life. And what we have found is, and we knew this going in, but we have been connected to a community of people that it's the love of their life too. And it doesn't matter if they're 85 year old war veterans who live in like Colorado who have connected with us or a 19 year old kid at Indiana who, begged us to sneak him into the back of Nick so that he could, or um, uh, the Bluebird, so that he could be part of our event. We, we have people listening to this podcast in Japan. We have, we have connected with a group of people that are like-minded to us, and it is wonderful, and it is positive, and it is affirming, and it is inspirational, and we love it, and we love the community that we are a part of. And so for a negative strain to come into that community bothers me because there's just no room for it.
2: I think, I think in mass, if we all ignore those people, they'll, they'll make less noise.
3: Do you think so? You think if you just don't yes. respond, they will simply stop being vitriolic?
2: I'll tell you what will stop. Those toxic threads they will stop right with that comment and everybody else who's in a good place just keeps moving. And then that thread can stay positive. It really bothered me to see, I've seen it on Peaks boards, obviously all along, maybe more recently, because we're all going stir crazy, but on the assembly call guys thread, I'm like, it's the assembly call guys. It was such a fun conversation. They're such good dudes. And that's how the comments start. And then somebody says something negative and then everybody else has to jump in either to defend us or just comment. And I'm like, I don't want to read this thread anymore because this is what it's about. Not the assembly call guys. So that's why I just check out when I see that happening and I hope everybody else will too.
3: I think you're right. And look, It's really nice when people come to our defense. It's like, you know, look, just speaking honestly, that's a nice feeling. But I think you're right. Like, please, if you're out there and you're defending us, don't feel the need to. We don't need it. And like Ward said, it's giving oxygen to a fire that we don't want to give oxygen to.
2: Don't we shit on ourselves enough? <laughs> Does anybody else really have to? No, we kidding. know. We know all that stuff you're saying. Well, yeah, we know. We agree. Yeah. We never have to go into the negative space on the message
3: boards. I, I also love this guy, this one Jagoff who wants us to put a bookmark in so he no, can don't, skip forward. Don't get specific. No, this is what he wants. This True. is what he wants. If this guy had any clue, we barely know how to record this thing. I mean, honestly, we uh, if if they saw us when we fiddle with the equipment to this, we don't know what we're doing.
2: But you see, you I got a pop mic filter now because of the assembly of call, guys. You do. You got like, a
3: pop filter. I'm using this stupid. It's called the Snowball. That's what I'm using. It's the, the
2: same brand, though. We have the, both the same brand, like $100. Uh-oh.
3: Uh-oh. uh-oh. Did you lose I, me? Are you there? I am. Yeah, I disconnected. My, my shitty microphone got disconnected <laughs> during that. Anyway, good news Basketball's happening, right? Like the the announcement came down. Basketball is going to happen. Big Ten football is going to happen. AKA Murderers Row. Yeah, but you know what? Good. Bring yeah. it. Bring it. Pop them right in the mouth. Let's go. Let's go. And you know what? I I'll be honest. The basketball schedule losing four games. I am. I I have two minds of it. One. I wish Indiana played 60 games a year because, you know, when Indiana plays, I just – it gives me something to just look forward to.
2: Time stands still.
3: Yes. So I love that. However – removing the shit games and coming into a schedule where all we're gonna have is basically the maui invitational played in asheville north carolina
2: <laughs> hey i've heard it's great yeah i've heard asheville's great
3: whatever but we got the maui <laughs> we got butler in the crossroads classic we got the Gavitt games and we got the acc big 10 challenge and that may be all the non-conference games we play except for maybe like one or two that is awesome. Every yep. game will feel like the Super Bowl. I mean, every game will be an opportunity for us to prove we are here now, that yep. we have turned the corner. None of this, like, how many games over the last three years, Ward, have we won, and you and I both know they've been bad wins, even though they're, like, we win by 20 points against a really bad team. You know no, you look, nothing look. from it.
2: For you, they're all bad wins. <laughs> no, no, not all of them. You always find something.
3: No, no, that's not true. You
2: can that's take not. any victory and turn it into defeat.
3: When we, we win at Michigan State, that's there's nothing. It's all good.
2: There haven't been a lot of dominant wins. No. You we're know, like, oh, we're just clearly a better team than that team inside the conference or other major programs from Power 5 schools. And it's weird that Because nobody's had much in the way of expectations for us for three years. So when I'm reading the talking heads, the pundits, the so-called experts, all feeling bullish on the Indiana Hoosiers. Not like crazy bullish, but like...
3: They pick a sixth or seventh in the Big Ten, dude
2: like everybody else does, but they all said the Big Ten stacked up at the top again. And and the consensus just seems to be there as an expectation for Indiana to take a serious step this year the way they never have before. Everybody sort of incremental steps. Indiana maybe could get better a little this year, and that's about what we did. But now people are like, okay, we think this team has the talent and the experience to uh, to play with the big boys. So I'm in. Count me in.
3: I'm with you there. Look, every game, there will be no bad wins. I mean, maybe they'll play one or two games before the Maui, but like, or I think just one game because of the schedule. But if you win a game this year, it's going to be a good win. Like, because yeah. the Big Ten is so deep and because these non-conference games are all going to be important. It's going to be really interesting. I'm just so happy they're going to be playing. I think Indiana has gotten back to workouts after being shut down. You they know, right around Labor Day. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, I'm just excited. I'm excited, man. It's going to be good, good stuff. Oh, hey, uh, uh, episode two of uh, Mandy and Holly's podcast went up. It, you should
2: spell it for the audience. Like the best way, to, it, I, it was hard for me to find it on Spotify.
3: It, yeah, no, definitely people that love the off topic um, stuff will love me doing this. But the name of the podcast is Liletta. And Morena, it's L I L E T T A, and then ampersand for and, and Morena M I R E N A, and I will let you listen to the podcast to understand why it is called that. But the second episode went up, and let's just say that was a hard episode for me to listen to.
2: I don't. I have not heard that. I don't believe Annie has, but I know she cried at least twice in the first episode. Is
3: that right? Yep. Well, guess what? I cried six times. <laughs> and and I cried just thinking about the podcast. <laughs> but anyway, they're doing it. It's fun. It's out there if you want to listen to it.
2: Our guest is kind of out there in a in in the fun way.
3: No filter on this dude, right? Yeah,
2: all all in from the jump. Uh, we couldn't – I mean, we're usually the ones that have to, like, wrap it up before we want to. This guys he's hardcore.
3: He just wanted to keep going. Yeah. Just keep going. And national championship blood, baby. I mean, oof, just the the stuff that we live for as Indiana Hoosier fans, we got to talk to, and we talked to him for a long time. And I just loved – you said this when we were done – but just the balance between just kind of commenting on like his insight on what was going on in his story and then balancing that with just real stories about what happened. So his opinion, and then just let me tell you what happened like in this story. Great. And some great Bobby Knight stuff that we have not heard as far as the specificity of how he planned for a certain game here or there.
2: Yeah. I think in both of those aspects, this guy of giving us, basketball x's and o's like the good wonky stuff mixed with the great anecdotes second to none of any guest when you talk this went for a really long time and it was just a constant stream of both of those things i mean this guy was loaded with what i know we love and i believe the listeners
3: do too absolutely and and just like i said unfiltered i mean the guy says stuff you won't agree with he'll say stuff that maybe makes you mad uh he'll say stuff you love but you got to love anybody that just comes on and bears their soul and just says exactly what's in their heart, you know, and doesn't hide from it. It's like, here it is. You know, it's, it's, it's his opinion and it's so refreshing and guess what? The dude's got jewelry to back it up. So you gotta, gotta listen to his opinion a little bit more than you say, listen to like our opinion on anything. Let's go ahead and
2: let them start listening, because this this is going to last you a few days, most likely.
3: And I do want to just do a little tease, because we don't normally do this. We got a big one coming next week. This one's big for national championship and Big Ten championship jewelry and what he meant to the last national championship for Indiana. But next week's is a big one for us. We're not going to give it away yet. I was waiting to see. I was like, "You're not going to spoil that yet." No, not going to give it away. But it's a big one, and one we've been wanting to do in some capacity since we started.
2: Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's evolved.
3: Yes, it has evolved. So we will uh, divulge that at a later date. But uh, here we go. Enjoy this one.
2: Who's your hysterics, Who's your hysterics, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. As you all know, this podcast was born and raised in Glendale. California. And today we are so excited to welcome a guest who also was born and raised in Glendale, California. That's all the details I'm giving him. Eric, the
3: rest, it's up to you. We are talking to a gentleman today who just happens to be 79th all-time in scoring at Indiana, 19th all-time in assists, led the team in assists his junior and senior year, led the team in steals his senior year, tied for 12th all-time in field goal percentage at in Indiana. He's a guard. He shot <laughs> 53.8% for his career from, the, from field goals. He is seventh best, seventh best all time in field goal percentage in Big 10 games at 54.3%. By the way, his career average ahead of Kent Benson. His Big 10 average, 0.5 points behind Calbert Cheney. He led the team in three point field goal percentage his senior year. You might ask, what did he shoot his senior year from the three point line? fifty eight point one. which by the way, if it if it qualified for number of shots taken, it is the single best season all time at Indiana three point shooting. He was the Indiana MVP in 1989. He was the all he made the all-academic team in the Big Ten, 1988, 1989. He was team captain his senior year. He was second team All-Big Ten his senior year. He was honorable mention AP All-American his senior year. He is a two-time Big Ten champion. He is a 1987 national champion. Oh, and by the way, he also got drafted into Major League Baseball, where he hit over 300 (laughs) in the minor leagues in his first year for the Oakland A's. This dude is a stud. Please welcome Joe Hillman.
0: Sounds like I should have shot more. (laughs) (laughs) We agree. We agree.
3: Totally should have shot more. Joe, how are you?
0: I'm great. Nice to be with you guys. This is going to be fun.
3: It is going to be fun. So when you hear all of that, uh, all of those accomplishments, besides knowing now that you should have shot the damn ball more, what stands out to you the most as I rattle off all those things?
0: 1987 championship and two Big Ten championships. That—that's. I went to Indiana from California to play a national championship team and you know, it happened, and I would – people ask me all the time, why did you go to Indiana? Well, I went to Indiana because I wanted a chance to play on national championship team, and it happened. And um go back there again in a second, and I had to do it all over again. So great experience, great friends. Um And it, what, what's amazing that I – one of the things that I, I love the most about all the Indiana stuff is my good friends today are guys – that i didn't even play with in indiana but guys like randy whitman and ted kitchell and um you know those are guys that i talked to brian evans and, and they weren't even guys that i played with but just because we all played in indiana we're friends i mean it's just it's just neat it's that and i love that
3: we love that too uh so why
2: don't you first orient us with where you are now, what's going on with your life? Obviously it's crazy times in the world. How are you getting, getting by in such a mad time?
0: Well, uh, I live in Zionsville, Indiana, which is the Northwest of uh, Indianapolis. And I am a partner, me and my partner have a company uh, called Trustwell Strategies, and we do financial services, uh, money investment, money management, investment, financial planning, advisory, we do some insurance. And uh, we started that about a year ago, right about now. It's it's wow. really been a year and everything started off great and COVID hits, but uh, we, we like to say we bet on ourselves. We left a firm that had a bunch of, you know, 300 advisors and we started our own and it's been the best thing we ever did, so. Um, and you know, it, just, it, it truly worked out. And we, we, we give our clients a better uh, experience. And it's just, it's, even through all the COVID things, it's, it's just been good. And we've, we've survived it. Obviously, we don't have the same face to face personal connection, but we do a lot of Zoom meetings and uh, things have worked out really well. I imagine as you, you
2: go off on your own into the business world, finance, it's ultra competitive. Is that competitive fire you had that that made you such a great athlete and and have so much success? Does that translate pretty readily into the
0: business world? Well, it does because you you want to you want to do well and you want to you you want to do well for your your clients, especially on the investment side of things. Uh, but it, really, the stuff that you learn more from the the athletic stuff is is time management and just discipline to. To do the right things uh, more than the competitive thing. I mean, everybody says they're competitive. Um, yeah, you know, nobody really knows you're competitive until you get in the battle. But, uh, you know, the, the stuff that you learn on how to prepare and do the things that you got to do uh, to put together a plan and things like that is the same things like when we used to get and, and walk through other teams' offenses and prepare our defense. And, and I think that's the the thing that you take from the sports and the stuff that I did at Indiana into the business because everybody everybody wants to do well. It's it's are you willing to put in the time and the effort to correct mistakes because you're going to make mistakes, and how do you learn from it? Um, and I think that's what I took from Coach Knight more than, than anything else is, yeah, you're going to mess up, and you're going to get – yeah, he's going to get on you, yeah. but you got to learn, you got to <laughs> learn from your mistakes and let's not do them again. And when I talk to our young guys, our young advisors, uh, you know, we talked about, okay, you got to, you got to get in front of people. And, and you got to offer different alternatives, but if you already have them as a client, don't be afraid to say, Hey, look, here's something. I don't know if you'll like it. Um, it may be for you. or may not be for you, but I got to do my job and I got to show this to you. Um, and, and And not be afraid of hearing no it 's just like you can 't be afraid, I think early on in indiana when when I started my career, I wanted to play so badly that I played not to mess up, I played not to make mistakes, I played not to miss a shot, and you just can't you can 't do that you can 't play that way because you 're always wondering the what ifs and you got to wonder the what if okay what if I do this not what if i don 't do this mm. <clears throat>
3: And it seems like it would be the same in finance too. Although with finance, the the what if I don't do this or what if I do this is costing someone money. Perhaps that's going well, right. to be a whole now, other level of pressure on you.
0: Well, it's uh, like when we do the trades and we do the the when we pick the selections of what we're going to do, we do our research, we do our discipline of, you know, the companies, and then and then the the thing is, is well, I don't know, this might be a little risky for this guy, but we get. You you now have some input from the clients that says okay hey look here's what we're gonna do. Some clients want no part of it; they don't care. They say right. do your thing. Other others want to be all involved. So yeah, I mean there's a little bit of that, but but you got to have conviction of why you're doing it, which is the same way of why are we running this offense or why are we why are we going here? Or why are we reading the defense? And and so there's so much similarities. I mean sports obviously has been a big huge part of my life. Um, just because that's what I grew up. You still watch a lot of sports, uh. but it, it does trickle down into the business thing. And and I think guys that, that have done good things in sports and been on a team, I, I think being on a team, you're accountable to other guys. And, and I think that helps big time in the business world because, you know, I want my partner to do well. And I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to, Make bad decisions because it's going to affect him. It's just like you don't want to make a bad play because it's going to affect your your teammates. Where if you're a tennis player or a golfer and you're playing an individual sports, it's on you. Um, you don't have you know you don't have a, a teammate to bail you out if you're having a bad day. But you're also not letting anybody down.
1: Right.
0: Um, if you play poorly, you know where where that's where I think a lot of it translates into the business world. I want to do well so that our team does well.
3: I I have always loved the stock market. I, my grandfather was obsessed with it and was an investor very early on. He was he was an old school investor who came over from Eastern Europe in in the late 40s and he, when he had any money that he could scrape together, he bought Disney stock and just kept investing in Disney because he liked the cartoons. Like it just that that was it, and he did very well with that. Yeah, I
0: was gonna say he he yeah. did
3: all right then. He did, but I remember growing up. The, I remember the first stock that I bought. I'm curious if you remember the first stock you bought. The first stock I bought, I used to open the paper. You know, when you had to go to the paper oh, yeah. to watch, to look at the stock quotes. Mm-hmm. And the Boston Celtics were a publicly traded corporation. Do you
0: remember that? I don't remember that, but I do remember the first stock I ever bought. All right. Well,
3: mine was the Celtics, made no money on it. I don't know what the hell happened to that money. I think it all went to zero. But what was your first stock you ever bought?
0: Mine was a company called Enzo Biochemical. I'll never forget. I bought a thousand shares. It went from like eight to 52. And I thought it was the easiest thing in the world. (laughs) (laughs) I sold it. I think I was 25. I sold it, made 45 grand on it. I thought, Oh, but this is easy. Everybody can do this. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yep. Yeah, man. It is, uh, it is intoxicating. That is, it, it can be tricky. It can be real tricky. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... People like me need to go to people like you and give us, and give you the money and let you do it because you do the research and I'm sitting on the couch going, Oh, the Boston Celtics are on TV. I should buy stock on that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, it's funny. I had a guy uh, today talk about, I, we were, we bought draft Kings. Oh, yeah. And, um, we bought it like three or four days ago. And one of the clients calls up and says, Hey, I don't know. I'm not, you know, this gambling stuff. I, I, you know, I said, Hey, what we're doing in the stock market every day is just legalized gambling. And you know, it's just kind of, you know, it's kind of funny, because, but DraftKings is, is become a, uh, a deal where so many people are on the site just for playing, you know, fantasy stuff right. is such a big thing now. And, uh, you know, it's done tremendous uh, stuff. And it well, actually, the, last few, last, three the yeah, last few days, the last few days, it's up
3: like 30%. The last year. Yeah. Days. It's, it,
0: it, but we bought it at 40, 41, and it's popped. So, yeah. Um, but it's just fine. I mean, you know, I mean, you hear those, Hey, there's just as many ones that we buy that go down too. So, right. Well, um, well hopefully not as many, not, not quite. <laughs> No, but you're not going to, you're not going to be right all the time. Right? No, you so can't just, be right. No chance. So, you know, and, and we have stuff with different, you know, a 30 year old is going to be different than a 60 year old and, and, you know, people that are retired. And, I mean, so we do a whole bunch of different things with how do we go about, creating income for retirees. I, mean, I think that's our biggest part of our, uh, of our practice is how do we generate income for people after they've saved all their lives right. to retire? How do we generate income in a way that they can keep living the lifestyle they want to live? And there's, Without risking there's a lot of different things that we do as, as far as spread money out and then actually allocating some money so that 20 years down the road, that that money's kind of an aggressive bucket as if you're old 40 years old again. And then we use wow. that when you're 80. Your so, yeah, I mean, we do a lot of good things. That's fine. Well, I, I have good to good ask business.
3: though, do you manage the money for any former teammates?
0: Uh, No, we don't never. And you know what? I've never, um, I've never really gone after that. Yeah. Um, but Cause you know, it would be I, awkward.
3: I, Cause it'd be a little no, awkward.
0: No, it's not that. Um, i I don't i when we all get together we don't really talk a whole lot about uh what we're doing this or that i i I never if somebody asked me about it i would definitely sit down and talk to them about it and and i we do stuff with friends yeah uh but it's not something that i just when we get hey hey what are you doing who you with yeah i just i don't i just i'm not good at that i you know what if somebody wants to talk we can talk but i'm not gonna I'm not going to force something down somebody. Sure. And, uh, so, you know, especially guys like that. Yeah. But I mean, if somebody will ask me questions, I'll say, Hey, we ought to sit down and have a conversation. Yeah. I pro- you know, and it, it's funny, Eric, I should probably, I, I should probably do more of that and say, Hey, you know, if you ever want to sit down, I just, I just don't, I don't want to be at that sales guy where everybody's, oh shit, here comes Joe. And, uh, you, you know, actually, here we go. Joe, that's you why know. you need
3: us. Warren yeah, and I will do go. that we'll do it for, you. for you. Yeah, yeah we, you we talk to these guys every week really <laughs> yeah. easily. You, you become a sponsor of the podcast. We'll hit these guys up for money every week. We don't give a there shit. There you go. All right. Well, <laughs> we, may have to, we may have to do a thing of trust both strategies. <laughs> That's
0: right. Yeah.
2: Uh, well, let's, let's jump back in the time machine because we're always interested to hear about our guest's upbringing. But Eric, as a former resident of Glendale, and myself as a current resident of Glendale. Joe, we're really excited to hear about you growing up in Glendale.
0: (laughs) Glendale? Legend, Glendale, (laughs) California. What are the chances? So I lived up um, uh, right in between Pacific and Central, up above, uh, which are the kind of the main roads going up on the west side of Glendale yeah uh, we lived up above uh cumberland your canth road cumberland and and up there great place to grow up that's for sure because you could get to the rose bowl in 10 minutes you could get dodger stadium in 10 minutes you could go to the beach in a half hour you could go skiing in an hour and a half i mean yeah i mean it was it was it was great i had great memories there
2: i had spent one day in glendale i'd lived in la for 15 years and i'd been to glendale once so we just moved here sort of sight unseen and i gotta say we love this place like and 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 compared to when you grew up and then even in the time in between now they've got the americana here which is oh yeah
0: americana is great americana my so my my mom still lives in the house that i grew up in my dad passed away about two years ago and my mom still lives i mean my parents i i i was born in burbank and then uh first five years we lived in burbank and then my parents moved when i was in you know, first grade and then they stayed there ever since. So I still go back to Glendale uh, probably four or five times a year and just go and stay with my mom. And uh, we, I, I got some clients out there. And so, yeah, I still go back quite a bit.
2: So what you're saying is when the world returns to a bit of normalcy, we're going to hang out in Glendale on one of your visits. Back oh there.
0: yeah. I was just there about a month ago. So. Oh, yes, and I need yes. to, I need to get back out there. I'll probably go out. I'll probably go out towards the end of October. I'll go out there.
3: All right, well, maybe we'll see but, if we can but, get an but, advanced vaccine.
0: But it's not like we're going to get out to do anything in California because that governor is, is dope and, <laughs> um, you know, won't let anybody do anything. You can't, you can't even go out and play pickleball with your family. It's ridiculous.
3: No, there's not a lot going on right now. That's why, Warden, and uh, I just sit in different rooms on Zoom and talk to Indiana legends. Yeah, so, well, sounds like fun. It's, you know, look, most of the people we talk to, A vast majority are from the Midwest, most from Indiana. And we both know when you grow up in Indiana, you have no choice but to fall in love with the game of basketball. It is born and bred. But in California, it's very different. While there's lots of people that play basketball, it is by no means the number one sport. I mean, it is equal parts soccer. Baseball, football, and you know, I, I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't even say basketball's in the top two or three, maybe of, of sports. Oh yeah, no. no way. What What was it like for you as a kid in Glendale, growing up when you got into sports, and how did you find basketball?
0: Well, my dad uh, played basketball and baseball at USC. Um, and so from a very young age, I mean, I was just exposed to sports and started playing when I was five or six with neighborhood guys. We, you know, we didn't have all these design leagues and stuff, but I used to go play when I was five years old, I'd go play with the junior high kids in Burbank and we'd go out to, uh, the Olive of rec yes. and go play over the line. And we'd play four on four and then we'd play two on two basketball in guys backyards when I was five years old. So, we moved to Glendale, and and yeah, you know, he didn't do anything organized until you were eight years old, um, and didn't do anything basketball wise until you were ten. But that I just did stuff in the backyard, and I had a, I had a great teacher, and my dad, he knew the games, knew both games, and then all his buddies that he played with lived around us, so I had guys like Denny Fitzpatrick, who was the 1959 MVP of the NCAA tournament and Cal's. Uh, captain of that championship team was my dad's business partner. So I, you know, a lot of knowledge there, a guy by the name of Danny Rogers, who was an all American at USC and, uh, was a coach at SC for, uh, under, uh, Forrest Good. That was one of my dad's best friends. Gordy Martin was one of my my dad's roommate, guy named Al Young was, uh, I played with his son at Hoover together. So, uh, I was surrounded by, a lot of guys that were good players in college and, and, and that helped me that 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 definitely helped me and then you know as a kid i was just good and, and then i was i was actually a better baseball player than a basketball player um uh, but i just always liked basketball more uh so yeah. yeah i mean it just it just uh just kept going and and my dad never pushed me in anything but you know if i asked for help if I, if I ever asked my dad hey let's go out and shoot or will you go throw me batting practice? He never said no, never, right? No, and that was great. Um, Did and, you and grow then, up
3: liking UCLA? You know, no, you, I was,
0: no, no, USC, USC. I, USC. I, was big, well, I know I your dad headband. went
3: there, but UCLA yeah. was such the the basketball. No, player.
0: no, UCLA was garbage when I was in. They were, <laughs> yeah,
2: they were done. They, they,
0: they were good. They were done. Yeah, they were done in '75. I mean, they right. were done. Um, and. Uh, no. My dad played at SC, so I grew up going to, I grew up going to all of the SC football games. And and uh, back then, SC had a thing called a lifetime pass. So if you were a letterman, you got a lifetime pass, and you could go to any football game. You always had a ticket. And my dad and his buddies would always go to the SC football games. And all the all the sons would hang around. And we, I mean, I grew up going to SC football games. I always thought I was gonna go to SC. Hmm
2: watching NFL films like Crunch Course growing up, and they they feature, you know, the Raiders at that time in L.A. Coliseum. It was always like a revered place to me. And I finally got to go in there when my beloved Colts came to town after the Rams had moved back. And it was that stadium, the age and the history that's in it, you can feel that. But it's more Spartan than, like, the Coliseum in Rome. Well,
0: it was, you know, it was iconic because the Olympics and – all the things that they had there, the Dodgers, when they came to LA, they started playing at the Coliseum and going to the Coliseum was a, was a big event. It was great. SC always had good football teams. And then, like I said, I mean, I just, uh, that's what, that's what Trojans did. I mean, they went to the games and, and, and then once we got into junior high and stuff where I was playing more, we, you know, we didn't go to those games all the time, but, um, one of the players that I played with in high school, uh, he went to USC. So he was a year older than me, a guy named Ron Young, and his dad and my dad played together at SC. So oh, wow. it was kind of like every time I was just going to go to SC. I mean, you know, and that's that yeah, I wanted to go somewhere in the Pac 10 and play. And then this stuff with Indiana popped up. And as it, it, it was, you know, how, how, do you, how do you not go to Indiana? And and with all the success and and the way that Indiana played with the passing game and the motion offense and, and that just suited me and it helped me. There's no doubt about it. I mean I just that that that's what I needed to do.
3: Well, let's talk a little bit before we get to you going to Indiana because your high school career is remarkable. I mean, it is capped off by a senior year at Hoover High School where you average forty one point four points a game. I mean that is that is not a guy who needs the motion offense to create well, shots for us. Well, okay,
0: so let let's let's go through that because everybody just thought I shot a hundred times. My <laughs> soft, we we only had we only had three year high schools. My sophomore year, we lose in the finals to Saint Bernard's in the in the finals of the CIF Southern Section. My junior year, we lose to Cal Poly in the semis or Long Beach Poly, and then. I was the only guy my junior year that played varsity basketball. We had a couple other guys, but they never played. And so basically my senior year – well, when I was a junior, two of the seniors played D1 basketball. One went to San Francisco and one went to SC. So we had a pretty good team. Yeah. So now it's my senior year, and nobody but me had really ever played varsity basketball. And Ron Young averaged about 20. I averaged about 23 as a junior, and I basically just scored those points. I mean, we probably averaged – I'll bet we averaged 65 as a team. I mean, it was literally – literally, we passed around until I got a shot. I mean, we, we, we had games – we had we had games. And I probably scored 40 or 41 75% of the time. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's really what I did. And, I mean, there was – there was a game where I scored 52 of our 60, and we won 60 to 58. I mean, that's that kind of what we did. I mean, and against good teams, we were playing in 4A. I mean, it wasn't like, but I mean, that's just so it wasn't like we ran and run and gun and this or that. I mean, we just, we, and and I'll give, I'll tell you what, the guys that were on that team my senior year, you got to give them a ton of credit because they they wanted to win. Um, and, you know, they would pass around until I shot it.
3: But, Joe, you're a 17-year-old kid in L.A., and you're scoring 40 a game. I don't care how they come. How? I mean, I mean, I would be walking around peacocking like there was no tomorrow if I was scoring 40 a game. How do you keep level-headed during that time, or did you? No, my dad kept
0: me level-headed. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I remember one game, I scored like 45, and I came home, and – I got changed or whatnot. He goes, where are you going? I said, I don't know. We're all going to go. Down. He goes, you were awful tonight. You were horrible. <laughs> he goes, it doesn't matter how many points you scored. You guys, you weren't any good tonight. And so, you know, I mean, but, but I mean, that wasn't, I mean, don't get me wrong. My dad was my biggest fan and, and my quarter, right. <laughs> but uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't think about that stuff because I wanted to win and, I mean, that was my biggest thing. We, I was always – when I was a kid playing t-ball, we won the city championship. I won the city championship in Little League. I won the city championship twice in Babe Ruth. I mean, I wanted to win. Um, and that was what it was all about. I, I, you know, it was always about how do we find a way to win the game. Um, and that, I always said to guys, look, if you're getting beat, nobody's going to get credit. And if you're winning, everybody gets credit. So mm-hmm. who cares? let's, let's go win. Um, and we had some good guys. I mean, my sophomore year, uh, we had two forwards that were pretty dang good. The high school basketball players, one of them, Kevin Brown played football at Cal as a quarterback. So we had, we had, um, we had some pretty good guys. And then my senior year, we just had all my buddies and we went out and played and had a great time. And, and you know, we ended up winning the league or tying for the league. And then we did get beat in the first round because I didn't play very good that night, but um, yeah high school was a great experience uh just because of the fact that like you said you were i you know i was the main guy and you're getting a lot of publicity a lot of notoriety but um it just it just when when you didn't win it wasn't uh the goal was to win at all and we didn't and Sure, we weren't gonna do that my senior year we just weren't big enough uh we had another guy about six four and i was the next biggest guy and uh, we just didn't have the size that we had the prior years, and, and like I said, when I was a junior, we had two other guys, yeah. um, Division One players.
3: Yeah, there were Division <laughs> One
0: players. Yeah, so they were. I mean, it's yeah.
3: crazy to have three Division One players on one high school team.
0: Yeah, but we but incredible. we were playing against we were playing against teams that had five or six. Wow, wow. you know St. Bernard's. When we lost to St. Bernard's in the finals by sophomore year, they probably had seven or eight guys that ended up playing D One, and then. Paulie probably had five or six and modern day always had a bunch. So, oh, yeah, you know, you hear about all these, I mean, there was a lot of good teams and in California, um, if you didn't finish in the top three of your league, you didn't make the playoffs. So mm. you had to, you had to do well in the regular season, which I always <laughs> loved. I loved that. You know, yeah. I, 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 every game matters. Yeah. It was, a, it was a big thing. Sure. It was great.
2: So I feel like I'm, I have a better understanding now of why you were such a a composed and knowledgeable floor general by the time you got to Bloomington, not only being a leader on your team, but your father's knowledge, all his friends' knowledge, all pouring down on you. But one man that hasn't been mentioned, uh, who was around, and I believe maybe coached your father, was around watching some of your games, and was also crucial in Coach Knight learning about this Joe Hillman out of Glendale, California. Can you to sp- speak on his influence in, in your life and your decision to go to Indiana?
0: Well, it's probably Pete Newell who you're talking about. And, that is oh, yeah. correct. So, so Pete Newell coached at Cal when my dad was – he recruited my dad um, when my dad was in high school and my dad decided to go to <laughs> SC. Uh, but my dad's – some of those – so what happened is back then – they would play in the summer and they'd have five or six Cal guys play with five or six USC guys. Uh, and that's kind of how, and Newell would coach it and do all that. But Mike, some of my dad's best friends were Cal guys, Tandy Gillis. Um, uh, Denny Fitzpatrick was his business partner in Pac-10 Partners. And so, though you know, those guys would all come and watch me play. And that was kind of how it got started. And Pete Newell asked me, hey – um, actually, it was Tandy Gillis, really one of Pete Newell's players that that started. He said, "Would you ever have any interest in playing in Indiana?" And I said, "Well, yeah, heck yeah, I'd love to." And then Pete Newell asked me about it. He said, "You know, I've never, I've never told Coach Knight about any kid before out here, but you need to go to Indiana, Joe." And I, he's, I said, "God, yeah, I'd love to, Pete. That'd be great." And I called Coach Newell Pete. I mean, everybody called him Pete, and I'll tell you a funny story about that. But his players yeah. called him Pete. And I called him Pete. I'd known him since I was 10 years old. So he'd come to a few of my games. And, you know, he talked to Coach Knight about it. And uh, Coach Knight's response was, well, Pete, you've never told me about a kid. So this kid must – I've never seen him play, but he must be able to play if you're telling me about him. And he said, ah, you know what, this kid's mentally tough. He, he would fit in great. And when I met Coach Knight uh, – the first thing he asked me, we were actually out at, I was up, I took my recruiting trip to Stanford and it was the first weekend you could go make trips. So I go up to Stanford and I get back and my dad said, all right, come on, you got to go put on a coat and tie. We're going to go meet coach Newell and coach Knight at the turf club in San Anita. Cause um, Mm. one of, one of (laughs) Pete Newell's, Pete Newell loved, loved the horses and one of, Pete Newell's ex-players was a trainer for thoroughbred racing, Earl, uh, Earl Shulman. So we go to Santa Anita, and I and I go, and Coach Knight and I walk off. And we go sit up there, and we're in the stands, and we're overlooking the San Gabriel Mountains. It is perfect out. I mean, it's green. And Coach Knight says, why? He says, you know, Pete tells me you can play, and he's never told me about a kid, so you must be able to play. He said, but why would a kid from here – want to go to Indiana because we don't have what you're looking at. (laughs) I said, well, coach, I want to play a national championship team, and that's not going to happen here in the Pac-10. And he said, yeah, you're probably right. I can't guarantee you we'll win one, but I'll guarantee you four or five chances at one. And I said, okay, well, that's all I want. He said, well, let me just tell you how it works in Indiana. You're going to come in. You're probably not going to play much as a freshman. You're probably then you contribute as a sophomore, and then you start your last two years. And I had everybody else blowing smoke in my ass, telling me I'm gonna be a starter, I'm gonna be this, I'm gonna be that. And I and it was the first guy that said, now here's the truth. You know, and he and he said, We got a good program. That's this is just how it this is how we do things. He said, Now, I don't know if you're gonna like it. And he said, You need to come and see Indiana, but you need to come when there's a game. So don't don't sign early. Let's get you to a game. And if you like it, you come. If you don't, no big deal. I get it. I understand. And that's kind of what it was. And that was in October. I went out there in November for a game and we were walking off the floor and he put his arm around me and said, are you coming or aren't you? Now I'm 17 years old. I'm there all by myself. There's no parents like it is in today's world. Everybody, your entourage, your family's all with you he puts his arm around me and says, are you coming or aren't you? And I said, well, uh, I need to go talk to my dad. And he goes, no, no, no. Are you coming or aren't you? <laughs> and I said, hey, I really need to go talk to my dad about this. He said, I'm going to ask you one more time. Are you coming or aren't you? Now, I'm 17 years old. And yeah. I said, oh, yeah, this is what I want. This is." And he goes, all right, good. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> he well, got what, what he needed. He got what but, he needed. But, but you know, when I went to, so when I used to go to the sports arena and watch SC play, three or okay. four thousand people. I would go up to Stanford. They got a little high school gym of five thousand people, and Tom Davis was Tom Davis was the coach at Stanford, and Bruce mm-hmm. Pearl, and Bruce Pearl used to come to every single one of my summer league games on Tuesday and Thursday night. Everyone. And came down and, and, you know, nicest guy in the world. So I go up there on my first trip. And, again, I'm 17 years old. Sunday, I go to Tom Davis's house. And this was my first recruiting trip. And he says to me, well, you're our number one guy, but I need a commitment right now. Are you going to come or aren't you? And I said, well, Coach Davis, I need to go take my other trips to get a little bit of an idea. And I really liked Stanford because they had a great baseball program and I told everybody I was going to play ball sports. That was my goal. I wanted to keep playing ball. So he lays on me, well, if you can't make a decision today, then you I'm going to have to let the other guy know and you just must not be a Stanford guy. Wow. It's like, and, and, and now if you knew me in high school, I was a little cocky and fun, <laughs> but I, I I wanted to say I said Stamper's no good. Said, <laughs> you guys haven't won Diddly Squad. You've never won, <laughs> you know, really? so I literally walked out of there saying, "All right, whatever." I I literally told him, "Well, then I I got to make my other trips." And he said, "Well, where else are you going to go?" I said, "Well, I'm going to go make a trip to SC. I'm probably going to go make a trip to Arizona." I'm going to go to Santa Clara and I might go to Indiana. And he goes, well, if you can't choose between those schools and Stanford, you're not a Stanford guy. I said, all right, well, and I walked out. So I get, and then I don't really hear from them. When I, when I make my decision and declare to Indiana, boom, week later, I get a phone call from the baseball coach, Mark Marquis. And he says, hey, look, I hear, you know, no, no, but if you really want to come to Stanford, I'll, I'll bring you on. You can just play baseball. And I said, coach, gosh, I appreciate that. but There's no way I can just go to school and play baseball and then watch that basketball team and know that I, I can help them not go play. He goes, oh, I understand. I understand. But, you know, the offers are open if you want to come, come. Well, after that, then Bruce Pearl starts calling. <laughs> so, but it's so the funny thing is, is now he stays at Stanford. Year later, two years later, he leaves and goes to Iowa. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're playing, we're playing Iowa and we're playing him at home. I'll never forget this. And and this is just typical of me, you know, smart ass But I am. We 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 beat Iowa, we're going through the handshake line. And I go, Coach, I guess you're not a Stanford guy either. He he started laughing and said, Joe, nice game. Yeah, it was great. And I I literally said, Coach, I guess you're not a Stanford guy either. That
3: is sensational. (laughs) That is so good. I, I want to take a step back to the Santa Anita first meeting with Coach Knight. Yep. So clearly Pete Newell is a legend, and you have a relationship with Pete. You said you had a story about calling him Pete. Oh yeah, so let's hear that before I ask my question.
0: Everybody called Pete Newell Pete. His players, I mean, his friends. My dad, I called him Pete since I was five years old. So I'm a freshman, and Pete Newell used to come to Indiana every single year of the Indiana Classic or the Hoosier Classic, whatever one was in down in Bloomington. So he would come in on. Wednesday, and then stay through the weekend. We played the two games on Friday and Saturday. And we'd win and whatever. So uh, <laughs> he shows up on – so he comes – He no, he came in on this one. He came in on, on Friday this year. And it was my freshman year, and I see him sitting on the stands. And now they had all the bleacher seats behind the benches. It was set up for a game. So he's sitting on the bleacher seats behind the bench. And Coach Knight goes over and talks to him, and all of a sudden, Hillman, get over here. So I go walking over, and it's him and Pete Newell. And I go, Hey, Pete, how are you? And Knight unloads on me. God damn it, Hillman, that's Coach Newell to you. And just lays into me. And and Pete Newell says, Bobby, Bobby, relax. And I mean, no, God damn it, Pete, I can't stand with you, <laughs> regular your players. And, guys, and that doesn't pitch you off. That is Coach Newell. That's... And I was like, oh, my God, you got are kidding me. Uh, you know, so it was funny. <laughs> um, and, and, was, and, and then was, after, and, and after, and after Pete came up to me and said, ah, don't worry about it. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: so I am curious about your first meeting with Coach Knight at Santa Anita. So here you are. You know Pete Newell already. He is a legend. Does that make it so that when you're meeting Coach Knight, who you know is friends with Pete, that you aren't as intimidated by Coach Knight as you would normally have been?
0: Or was he still this well, overbearing? no, you know, here's the deal with that. He wasn't, uh, you know, I knew that they were good. They won it all in 76, 81. I mean, when when ESPN started, I remember watching Whitman and Kitchell and yeah. saying, oh, my gosh, I love how these guys play. Uh, we kind of played like that in high school with, uh, Ron Young, our you know our center forward uh could really shoot kind of like Kitchell in high school, and with bonus us, man, we just killed it uh, but i didn't grow up here in Indiana, so I never knew how big Coach Knight was ah, know mm-hmm. coach me. you know he was he was a Tom Davis that had won i mean it it was just different when you didn't when you didn't grow up here, now obviously, I learned real quick how big. Coach Knight was here in the state of Indiana, how popular he was and what a large figure. He was a larger-than-life figure. But in California, when you didn't see all of the – you didn't have all the media talking about it back then. I mean, rarely right. did you see a game. So, it just wasn't – it wasn't that. And, and you know, growing around Pete Newell, right. he wasn't this big, iconic coach. He was Pete Newell. He's your buddy. He was your friend. He's just a great – I mean, Pete Newell <laughs> – is maybe one of the greatest guys ever he was a great guy uh but so it wasn't i was excited to meet him and have a chance to like hey gosh because this is really where i wanted you know once we sat down and talked and we did the stuff i remember when um uh tom or jim cruz came to watch me practice and i remember telling the guys at practice hey Let's not have any grab ass going on today. This is where <laughs> I really want
1: to go.
0: Um, I, I, you know, let's not screw. Because we, we, you know, we could have some screwing practices where, you know, I mean, that's high school. So when I told everybody, I said, hey, this is where I really want to go. So let's not, let, let, let's go. Full time, let's not have any screwing off and let's, let's go play. And, you know, because that, that it was, once, once it kind of started getting in motion, that's where I wanted to go. So, um, and, and that's, you know, so it was, it was, a, it, does that make sense? Because it does make a little sure. bit of a difference just because I didn't grow up here, uh, seeing him on his, you know, channel four and the, the game every time on TV and, um, it just, it, seeing a coach, I just, it, it just wasn't the same as growing up here.
2: Was it was it shocking to learn he was so popular people would watch him play golf on his own golf show?
0: Well, it, I, I was stunned when I got here how popular players and stuff were. I mean, I remember as a freshman getting here and then it, it, once games started, people were asking for your autograph. And it was such, I, I mean, it just, it was just, it was, that was a bigger shock than leaving the ocean and the mountains to come to cornfields and uh, flatlands. Right. Uh, I mean, it just, it was a, it was a little overwhelming as a, a you know, 18. I mean, I was a young guy. I, basically I, I, when I got to Indiana, I had just turned 18 two days prior to coming to Indiana. So I was a young, you know, I was the youngest guy in my class. Um, and it, it, it just, it was kind of overwhelming on how popular and, and how people treated you. And it, it was, the problem is, it was really easy to get caught up in that and start believing it all and think you're a lot better than you are and and all these people. And it it was, um, that was, that was a little tough for me when I got here to, to be able to, you know, flush that out and and you got to play and you got to do stuff. So it was, that was a, that was an adjustment, no doubt about it. And let's not kid ourselves. It was like, It was distracting? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it It could have been. The
3: girls. The girls. Come on. It was the
0: moms that were 40 that were asking you for your autograph, and you're going, (laughs) well, do you want this for your kid? No, I want it for me. What?
3: (laughs) (laughs) See, Joe, people don't realize, like, Ward and I went to a UCLA game last year because former Indiana Hoosier point guard Michael Lewis is now an assistant coach at UCLA. If Tom Ostrom or – Any of you, Mike Roberts, any assistant coach for Indiana, the assistant coaches, everybody in that arena at Assembly Hall, they know who the assistant coaches are. Oh, yeah, for sure. If after a game, if after a game one of those coaches just came wandering out onto the court, where anybody could come talk to them, they would be mobbed. Oh, sure. They would be asked for pictures, you know, autographs. Oh. Michael Lewis just chatted us up after the
0: game. No one gave a shit. No, like, I hear you. Well, that's It is, that, it is a different thing. That's why I fell in love thing. when I went to Indiana. It's, well, I mean, it, when I went to like, – I went to an exhibition game where they played the Italian national team, and there were 17,000 people there. <laughs> and it was like – right, well, And it was great. And, and then, you know, I mean, literally – and I hate to say this, but by the time you got to a junior and senior, you were sneaking out the back so you didn't get stuck out on the floor for an hour, hour and a half signing stuff. Yeah, um, I get, I, because, I get I mean, it. You, you know, you could get stuck there. Uh, sure. but, but the fans are the people that made it. I mean, it it, it, it was such – and they had such great knowledge. Um, You know, still this day, people talk about, uh, oh, I missed the motion offense. I missed – and I think that's one of the things that – yeah, I don't know if it's so much the, that teams haven't been winning. And teams, it, it's the style of play that I don't know if people are enamored with. Uh, and the game's changed so much. You know, when we played, everything was away from the ball. That's where all the action happened, and that was where you scored. You scored, setting things up away from – now the whole game, every level, high school, college, it's all on the ball. The whole game's Why? on the ball. It's it's all ball. Why has that changed? I'll tell you why it's changed. It's easy to coach. You know how hard it is to go coach pick and roll? It's real simple. Hey, my best ball handler, my biggest guy, pick and roll. Three guys go stand on the side, stand outside the three points and shoot it. How hard is that to coach? It's because nobody (laughs) can coach motion offense. They don't know it, they don't understand it. They don't understand the angles that you have to create through the screening, they don't understand how to get a guy to set up a player, how to read a cut. If my guy goes under, I step back. If my guy follows me, I go tight. Nobody can teach that. It's simple to teach dribble, pick and roll garbage. I mean, how hard is that? I mean, Indiana, everybody plays A, B, C, D. Guess what? If you take away B to C, what's everybody do? Pick and roll. Right. I mean, that's just – it's it's, and it starts because AAU, you don't practice. You just go play games. So if, if your team's with a bunch of guys, they're all, you know, great players, all all-star players, and you don't ever practice, how hard is it to just set up a two-man game with three guys on the perimeter and go stand and we'll go jack it up and play? That's That's what's happened.
3: Don't you think another piece of it is, like, when you played, and even up until, I would say, early 90s, what changed when the money and fame and fortune of NBA just went astronomical. All these kids now, the NBA is everything. It's how do we get to the NBA as quickly as we can, even kids that shouldn't be going to the NBA and have no business and will never go. They look at the NBA game, which is a pick and roll game. And so now these college coaches, to appease these 15, 16, 17-year-old kids who want to play the quote-unquote NBA Absolutely. they're well, like, oh, sure. we do that here. Come here, we're going to prepare you for the NBA because
0: we play pick and roll. Well, that's what that that and that's, I mean that that's just catering to seventeen or eighteen to twenty two year olds, right? I mean that's what it is. Now, the problem with the problem with the college basketball game now it's it's become who's got the best players and and because that's how what everybody plays. But I can tell you right now, if you had, uh, you know. I would love to go coach because you'd set things up. You'd go get guys and keep them there for four years. That's why Butler's been successful. They got guys there three, four years. If you got 21 and 22 year olds playing against 18 and 19 year olds, I don't care who's better The the older kids are going to win. They are, they're just bigger and they're faster and they're stronger. They got more experience. They've been through some stuff. I mean, it's just, Uh, You you know, that's where these mid-majors can do well in the tournament. It's just totally. I don't know. I mean, I get get a guy that if you're going to be – I just had this conversation the other day with Derek Elston. We we went to lunch together, and I said, you know, if a guy's going to be a top 15 pick, you got to go. The money's just way too big. You get to start your – and the problem is the NBA has a stupid system where you do your first year, your first three or four years, and then your second contract is the big one. So right. if you're 18, 19 years old, you want that 2nd contract started start when you're 23, not when you're 28. So right. – and, and the problem with the NBA, when I was playing basketball, the NBA had the 400 best players. Now you have the 300 best players and 100 of the top prospects. You don't have the best oh, players. You got prospects. I mean, these kids are 18, 19. You're just hoping they're going to be okay. You don't and know. many of them aren't and
3: you many know of and them so aren't.
0: the college game when I played you don't see the size you might have some height but you don't see guys like Ronnie Cyley who weighed 240 250 Armand Gilliam or 230 you don't see that Daryl Thomas who is 225 you know you you don't see guys that are you, you you're gonna see because a 610 18 year old who's now a freshman at 19 basically uh, because they all do the the Red shirt in high school, or do a postgraduate. Yeah, prep school. Um, school. Yeah. You know those guys aren't fully developed. Now they're all skilled out of all, you know, out of their mind. But there's no Roy Tarpleys in the world that was seven foot, could run up and down, and was big as all get out. And could, those guys aren't around anymore. They're gone after their first year. I mean, Roy right. Tarpley was seven feet. Was the fastest guy on the floor. Could run, could jump. I mean, he was a great player. You'll never see a guy like that. I mean, it just you know, and the back of the basket, even like a Purvis Ellison, you don't see that anymore. No. Um, I mean, cycle was a big guy. He was huge.
3: Huge. He was a, know, man. a man. He's He was a forty-year-old man. I mean, he was you don't a see.
0: You don't see. You don't see bigs anymore that are men in college basketball anymore. Because they leave. No. We're going to see Luca
2: Garza this year, unfortunately. I was hoping we were done with that's him. That's true. He's he's not, a
0: he's you know what? There's a perfect example. Now, will that guy ever be a great NBA player? Probably not, but he's a damn good college basketball player.
3: God, wouldn't you kill you know? him? I mean, he's Dude. tough.
0: Uh, he so, is. you know, and that's where the games change a lot, too. And that's and that's what's disappointing because uh, you, you look at guys, and I get it, and you always say, well, man, if that guy would have stayed one more year, Oh well, I'll give you a perfect example, Cody Zeller. What? Would, why would Cody Zeller stay? Right. What? What? So he could move up one spot, two spots in the draft, maybe.
3: Right. I mean, the, the you know. oh, actually, the truth is, Joe, the, there's more chance that he would have moved
0: down in the draft. Nope. Well, exactly, because now everybody nitpicks you. So why, right. if you're a guy like that, why would you not leave? Right. And so no, it's a very you well know, to that, And that's to you know, now you get a guy like Romeo. Romeo Langford he leaves He's a fourteenth pick. I mean, he hardly played this year. Um, you know, you get into that stuff, but how do you fault the guy that gets all that money? And now he's gonna be now he's gonna be twenty-three and his his first contract's gonna be done. You think the Celtics are gonna cut him? No chance. They're gonna give him a second contract because they've invested some money in him. But, you know, you probably get better practicing against NBA guys every single day than you do playing in college. But Sure. I mean, it's just, it, it it's a tough thing. What 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 I think is sad is you go through and you see all the guys that are underclassmen that commit to go to the MBA, and there'll be a hundred and twenty underclassmen that leave early, and there's only sixty picks. Or what I do you know. I mean? What are you thinking?
3: And you never hear from them again. No, I mean, right. And that's what's sad. Those guys them.
0: should go finish college because how many of those guys then come back that don't? get into the nba yeah they may go play overseas which is good you can make some money but how many of those guys come back and finish their degree right yeah so that that's yeah i mean you never want to stop somebody from trying to live out a dream but it's just i I don't know i think that's it's hurt college basketball because you don't have classmen playing it's hurt the nba because you don't have the 400 best you just don't
3: i you're right well let's talk about you living out your dream the 1984-85 class where look let's be honest indiana had won in 81 you know and and hadn't been back at that level since but but clearly there was a lot of hope at, at indiana you had guys like steve alford that were were already on the team well, and
2: let's not forget the 84 gold medal game here in your backyard.
3: Bob Knight was coming off of winning the gold medal with Michael Jordan and Steve Alford on that team. And you have a recruiting class that includes you, Steve Isle, Krieg Smith, Brian Sloan, Magnus Pelkowski, and the biggest recruit of them all, Delray Brooks, right? all yep. of your recruiting and,
0: and Indiana lost in the final eight the year prior.
3: Right, after beating North Carolina and Michael Jordan. So there's a lot of hope in Bloomington that we're returning back. And you come off of your year of scoring 41 a game, but Coach had been honest with you, like you said. You knew you probably weren't going to play a lot. But still, when that reality hits home, when you go from being the guy and, and being a star athlete, and now you have to fight like hell to get seven minutes a game, Was that hard for you, Yeah, because,
0: you know, when he he tells you that, that this is how it works, you still don't believe it. You still think you're going to be a starter. You still think you're going to play. I mean, at least in my mind, I did. You know, you're going to go battle, and you're going to do it. But what was really hard is I go to Indiana, and that, my freshman year, it's the worst season Bob Knight ever had. And that was a really long year because there was no 20-hour practice week. Uh, Mm. we practiced three hours every day full blast it was brutal we started off three and one in the big 10 and ended up going 7-11 and and
3: and 11-3 yeah
0: so we were uh, i mean we started off fine um and then from three and one we go four and ten that wasn't a lot of fun uh trust me that wasn't good and what, what, so that was what's
2: good. it like? What's it like then when it's getting worse and worse? You you guys had climbed into the top 10 before this happened and then what are you seeing in practices and coaches demeanor it, from your other teammates like what does that look and feel like in the midst of the worst run of Coach Neist's entire Well, night?
0: it became a survival. Um uh, I and everybody kind of just tried to take care of themselves and 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 which was kind of bad, but uh, I mean, no, it wasn't like everybody liked each other. It was just, yeah, everybody wanted to make sure that they weren't getting marked at. They weren't messing up. I mean, it was just tough, and and, uh, it was a really hard year on Steve. I mean, when you watch games back then, everybody was gunning for him. Uh, Even Coach Knight made a comment, and Steve got tired. Uh, he didn't have any break at the Olympics. He had the whole thing. He still physically was, he, he just, you know, he was 19 years old. He wasn't as big and strong as he got when he was uh, a senior and he got knocked around and guys were gunning for him because he was on the Olympic team. And all thought oh, the only reason why he made it was because of Bob Knight. And coach came in one time and said, you know, Steve, I probably, It probably would have helped our team had I not put you on the Olympic team. We were probably going to win the gold medal with or without you. But you earned that spot, and that's why you made that team. Um, You know, and it was just a deal that that he kind of – Knight almost felt bad because he knew guys were going after him. I mean, every senior in the Big Ten guard went after Steve. I mean, it was like their number one game. We're going to show him up. And, and he wore down a little bit. But then we lost Genome, which was really unfortunate. Genome was probably our best player yeah. as far as physical ability. He was nine, could run, great rebounder. I mean, he was a great player. He was a good, really good college player. But he wasn't going to class. And knight and had warned him numerous times. And then he asked him, Mike, I'm going to check. Have you been going to class? And he said, no, I missed. And he said, all right, get your stuff. He didn't even yell and scream out. just said, get your stuff. You're done. And that really hurt because Mike was a good player. Mike was a really good player. And then after that is when we kind of spiraled downward, and it just got.
3: Did that shock you though? I mean, like, did that surprise you? Knew coach was a hard ass, obviously. But was that surprising that you you know? At that that point, I really
0: didn't know. Um, Now, what surprised me was Mike kept coming back for three or four days, Um, and and you know, it was the first time I saw a coach. He didn't really get mad. He just kind of – it was almost like he was just done with it. Uh, and so that was something that – it was almost like he's not even mad. So he's dead serious about this. It, you know, usually he'd get on guys because I think he wanted to see him fight back. And and it just – I don't know. It, it. And I don't even know – it just seemed like after that we went downhill. And I don't think it was more that – it was because it, it was more because Mike was a good player. I mean, he was really good. Right. Um, right. It, then, then a then a decision because you know, look, this is what you were supposed to do, and Coach kind of followed up on his his deal. I mean, it it, it really what it what it what it did for me was it opened my eyes and like, okay, hey, if he says something, then that's <laughs> going to be the law, and that's you <laughs> know, and that's the way it should be. So, I but that hurt about- and, that, and that just. That just became a long year. That just really became a long year. Uh, so yeah, sure. Uh <laughs> very difficult. Especially a coming from leader. especially coming from me being used to winning, Indiana being used to winning. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm gonna go here. And then when we're losing and you're not playing very much, you're like, Well, why don't I get <laughs> right uh type of deal. So yeah, I mean it was tough.
2: Uh, just a couple of seniors to touch on. What kind of guys were Dan Dockage and Uwe Blob to be on the floor with, to be on the team with? Obviously some rough times. What were those guys like back then?
0: Well, they were just teammates. I mean, they were good guy. Uwe was one of the greatest guys in the world. I mean, Uwe uh, was one of the hardest workers you'd ever see. Uwe would go and lift weights after a training table. Uwe, Uwe worked on his game. A really smart guy. Great guy. Uwe was. Um, I mean, there was no, nobody didn't like Uve. I mean, it was, uh, he was just a good guy and uh, he battled and he worked and uh, I mean, he, he made himself an NBA first round pick. I mean, Uve, you know, he was seven foot two, but he, he was, he was just a good guy. Dan, um, you know, I felt it was kind of tough on Dan because he's being a senior and, you know, we're having a bad year and uh, it was just, it, that was not, obviously the way you want to go out as a senior, being Knight's worst – basically his worst team in the Big Ten ever. And uh, But, it, you know, it, it, again, I go back to it's so much easier when things are going well to keep everybody in line. That whole season was just tough because if you're not – if you're not playing a lot, it's hard to lead and help other guys. uh sure. You know, and so – it's especially if you're losing. If you're winning, it's easy to be a rah rah guy even if you're not playing and 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 be an elder statesman on the team and a captain, and whatnot. But when you're losing and everybody's kinda going their own way to protect themselves, and make sure I mean it's just tough. So, you know, the Dan stayed on as a uh a grad assistant, um, and then became an assistant. So he was there the whole time I was there. And um you know, I mean, we, we had good guys in Indiana and, and if you weren't a good guy they usually left. We always lost a, a guy or two, one because they wanted to play more, right. or they didn't like it. They didn't, you know, they just didn't like the yelling and screaming, or, or they weren't good guys, and and they just weeded themselves out and left.
3: Well, the the Delray situation I always find fascinating because he was such a coveted recruit. I mean, like number one or two in the country back then. I know the rankings weren't exactly the same as they are now, but. He was a coveted recruit, and he and Coach just could never get on the same no, page. No, that right? wasn't it.
0: He Delray wanted to play more, and um, you know, I mean, it was. I mean, Delray was a good player, but shoot, guys caught up, and and you know, I mean, it just Delray wanted to play more, and that I mean, that's really what happened. He went to Coach and and said, "Look, I you know." Coach came down to us and said, "Hey, all right, you know, hey, Delray's transferring," and I and and he came to me, and he said, "I want to play more." And he said, "I'll never fault anybody for wanting to play more because that's what you're here for," but I'm not just gonna let you play because they're complain. But you know, you got to earn your minutes and stuff. And I, you know what, I respect the hell out of Delray, and you know if that's what he thinks is the best thing for it then i i'll help the guy any way i possibly can because and coach said this he goes i know what it is like to sit on the bench and not play and if you want to play more that's why mm-hmm. you go to college is to play and so that 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 wasn't really a bad that and everybody liked delray it was not a hard that was not uh, that it, it that wasn't anything that hurt us that year um uh, that was almost like, all right, hey, this is good for Delray. Everybody's going to be happy for him, and we're going to be all right. I mean, it wasn't like Delray was a, was a major player. Uh, that, right, you know, he right. wasn't a big scorer for us that we'd lose and, and whatnot, or he gets kicked off the team or blah, 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 or whatever. I mean, it was a guy that wanted to play more, and he made the decision to leave. And I think everybody uh, was – It worked out for everybody, truthfully. It worked out for everybody. You know, everybody was like, okay, if this is what Delray wants, is good for him, then, you know, heck, shoot, go do it. Um,
3: yeah. So we can't talk about the 84-85 season without touching on the infamous game against Purdue in February of 85, where, of course, Coach did his community service to provide a seat for an old woman that was standing in the corner under the basket. What do you remember
0: about the infamous chair throw? Walk us through your well, memory. Well, uh, the, the biggest thing I remember is the first game Coach Knight didn't wear a coat. Mm. <laughs> he would have thrown the coat if he had a coat on. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the first game. He showed up in a, in a collared golf shirt, and that's where – I mean, I distinctly remember that. I said, oh, my God. He's, you know, and I thought maybe when he walked in the locker room, he was going to go put a coat on over the golf shirt and whatnot, but it was the first time he didn't wear a coat. And, uh, I mean, we were terrible. We were awful. We were struggling. And we didn't start off very good. And there was a bad call. Somebody dove on the floor. And I think Daryl Thomas was on the ball. And somebody from Purdue made jumped jump in. And no foul, no one. So Coach gets a tee. And the crowd starts going crazy. And then basically, I think Coach wanted to get kicked out. And I remember <laughs> yelling at Todd Rock and Rucker kind of just smiled. Knight just turned around, took the chair, and slid it over, and, and gave it a nice little toss. Uh, but I think he has his coat. He throws his coat on the floor and gets kicked out. I, I mean, I truly believe he wanted to get kicked out of the game because he wanted the crowd to be going. He was just trying to spur us on any way he could. Um, but you know what? Heck, I mean, he used to kick balls in practice. He used to fire chairs in practice. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't really not that big of a deal. I mean, we honestly, <laughs> honestly, we did not think. We just didn't – we just didn't – I don't know. I don't ever remember anybody going, oh, my God, this is – you know, what the heck's wrong with this guy? What's he doing? Just (laughs) Just another day – just another day of basketball. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't – I mean, I remember looking up and and watching it. I was sitting right there. Uh, But it just – you know, but that I think the biggest memory of the whole thing was it was the first time he didn't wear a coat, and I really believe he, he would have thrown the coat.
2: <laughs> um, I I, I, before we get into to the, the future basketball seasons, I am wondering how this works with, with baseball now. Obviously, that was something Coach Knight was on board with. Um, I'm, I'm wondering one was that like you decided where you're going to play basketball and then you worked it out with the baseball coach and then, you know, how does that uh, affect you as a basketball player, not fully committed to it year round is stuff happening in baseball kind of actually give you a break, maybe refresh you to come back to the game of basketball. Are there skills in baseball that somehow translated on the court or, or was it just its own thing in the spring?
0: No, well, it was something that I had always done. So I didn't know any different. Um, and every school that I went to visit, I talked to the baseball coach while I did my visit. I mean, that was very important for me. I mean, that was, you know, I wanted to go. And so I talked to every baseball coach at SC, at Santa Clara, at Stanford, at Indiana, um, and Indiana. And Knight was very supportive of it. Uh, but I didn't know any different. When basketball season ended, I went and played baseball. And when baseball ended, I went and played basketball. I mean, that's just that's just the way it was. So there was no different – there was nothing different for me on that. Um, and so that was just the normal thing. But I always enjoyed getting done with basketball and going to baseball. I mean, I just did. But I loved baseball. I was good at it. Uh, I mean, I was All-State first team two years in a row, my junior and senior year. And there's some discussions about signing out of high school. and um, But – yeah, I just – I always wanted to go to college. So, it just um, – I, again, I just didn't think anything differently. It's just what I always did. And as soon as baseball ended, I went and played basketball. I always spent more time at basketball because it was the first deal that we got going on. And then when baseball would end, I would play some American Legion ball in summer, but then I was also playing um, – a bunch of stuff, and uh, we had this thing called Olympic Development League in in LA, which was kind of like AAU, but but not as you didn't go to tournaments. We just played down at Cal State Fullerton. And it was all the all state, all CIF players that would get on teams from the areas and they play. And it was yeah, it was good. But I I would always take a basketball game over a baseball game in the summer, which probably wasn't the smartest thing in the world, but. I just like basketball more. You could you could practice basketball on your own. You didn't need uh, somebody to go out there and throw you batting practice or hit your grounders or fly balls. Uh, you could just go out in your backyard and shoot and get better. Mm-hmm. And, and basketball practice was just more fun than baseball practice. So um, sure, I just like basketball more. Uh, but I love getting into baseball. I mean, there's nothing better than going up and hitting and doing all that. I, I mean, I love doing that. Um so, <laughs>
3: Well, yeah. If you can hit, take it from somebody who can never hit. If you can't hit, playing baseball. Well, is the yeah. Worst unless thing you're a pitcher, right? because <laughs> it is embarrassing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. If you're a pitcher, fine. But my God, not being able to hit a baseball is just so frustrating. I,
0: I got to tell you, hitting a baseball is by far the hardest thing to do in any sport that I've ever done, and. I'm a zero handicap in golf and I played basketball and I played baseball and I played, I played them all. You know, baseball's the hardest thing, you know, and I hear my golf buddies tell me all the time. Yeah, but you got to play your foul balls in golf. I said, yeah, you don't ever have to worry about one coming into your ear hole. And the ball ball is sitting right there. How hard is it to hit it when it's not moving? Mm.
3: Right. But wait, I hear, but wait, this is a great question to ask. I can't believe I just said that. I'm like complimenting my own question. It's so stupid. All right, but this is, I'm curious about. What, as an athlete, what gives you the bigger thrill? Grooving a line drive just right back up the middle, like just grooving it, crushing a drive off the tee where you know you hit it square and it's going like 270 down the middle of the fairway, or getting the ball at the three-point line in a big moment and drilling a three what gives you the biggest rush oh, hit a
0: three on the game you know big time in the game and the crowd goes nuts I mean that was great uh, yeah. but hitting a line yeah. drive especially with a wood bat was was a great feeling too because the wood bat just felt so yeah. much different than the aluminum bats. but yeah I mean if you're hitting a three in a big time moment in a game then you know that that especially with the crowd I mean that that's what made like college basketball was more fun than college baseball because of the crowd. I mean, we had yeah. thousand people. We might have 17 people out of an IU baseball game, uh,
1: <laughs>
0: you know, so that, 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 that's a big part of it. I mean, it was fun playing for Indiana fans. They were so responsive sure. to good plays. They, they, they loved guys that played hard. Uh, they, they were just, it was just, easy to go out and give it your all for them because they appreciated everything that we did for giving back to them, I guess. But it was just, uh, it it was fun to go out and play in Assembly Hall.
3: One of the things I love about, and and I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit before we go back, but to your point about Indiana fans, one of the things I always love about Indiana fans, when you're not at the game and you're just watching it, when a player comes in, A bench player, you know, comes in, busts his ass, dives on the floor, maybe makes like two good passes, maybe gets a steal, a couple rebounds. If that player goes out, you know, comes out of the game, there is a rousing ovation for that player as they walk to the bench. And I remember, Joe, in some games when you were at Indiana, specifically I remember some giant tournament games, like your Final Four performance against UNLV, which we'll get into but the crowd so reacted, and that's not even a home crowd, but those fans knew what you did in that game. You didn't have to hit five threes. You didn't have to have a highlight dunk. They knew what you did in that game, getting an offensive rebound, good assists, hard defense, and they reward you for that. That's what makes Indiana fans different.
0: Well, that's I, what makes different. Yeah, and I think that all comes from Coach Knight was really big – about talking about making positive contributions and a positive contribution doesn't mean you have to score to, to have an impact on the game. And he always talked about that in the media and press conferences that hey, so-and-so did this, this, and then he didn't score a lot of points, but man, he was huge for us tonight. And I think people listen to that. And then they would recognize that. And it it just became a, a, a common part of Indiana basketball through the fans that they realized that that, those were good plays that, again, you didn't have to score. I mean, here's a deal that that nobody's ever going to talk about and probably most people don't even know. We only had four guys score in the national championship game. Four guys. That's
3: it. That'll never happen
0: again probably and win. And so we win the national championship with only four guys scoring. Uh, But, you know, then it goes back to the thing where – you know, making positive contributions and doing what you need to get done. And, and uh, I, again, I think that it all comes from Coach Knight talking at press conferences, talking about it on his show, about this guy doing this, this, and this, even though he didn't put up big offensive stat numbers that everybody, you know, just associates with. It, it, and I think that fed into the the reasoning people understood what was oh, going for on? With sure. that. So he
3: taught us. Yeah, he, he taught did. us how to appreciate the game of basketball the way that he was coaching.
0: And he wanted people to appreciate guys that were that were helping us win that weren't big scores because I think that you know he was like that at Ohio State. Right. And right. He played with great players, but he helped teams win. And I, you know, I just because you always talked about. uh you don't have to score to, to help us win, um, you know, making good decisions, get boxing out, defending your guy, getting the ball to guys in good positions to score. I mean, you know, those were things that were talked about all the time. And, and I just think the people listened and they gravitated to that and they understood it. Totally. So let's get into your sophomore year where,
3: Things. This is a weird thing. As I was looking back at the year, obviously, you get redshirted that year. And I want to talk about that, that process. And was it a surprise to you and how you handled it? But the other thing I'd love for you to comment on, I've never seen this before. And I don't know if this is,
0: I think four people redshirted that oh, year? I, I think we had five. Five, five. I mean, yeah,
3: five. Look, Brian Sloan, Magnus Pelkowski, Craig Smith, Joe Hillman. Did all redshirt? No,
0: Olafant did. did Olafant, yeah.
3: I don't think – has that ever happened where five people are Pro-
0: Probably not, and, and it's weird because Coach came to a bunch of us, came to those same guys and said our freshman year, and I don't think anybody wanted to do it as a freshman because it was like – well, man, we're going to be really good. I want to be a part, you know, even if I don't play a lot, and we didn't really understand it. The next year, he says, okay, you guys are doing – we're red-shirting. And I don't – I actually don't think he thought we were going to be very good. So uh, – and, you know, some of the guys weren't going to play very much. But after the very first game against Montana, he pulls Chris Smith and I over and says, hey, sorry, guys, I can't red-shirt you. There's just no way. I need you guys to play. Our guard plays terrible. I need you guys to play, and I hate to do it, but you guys can't redshirt. So Cree and I were all excited. I mean, this was, on- <laughs> <clears throat> and we're gonna play Notre Dame. We're gonna play Notre Dame on Tuesday, and then Sunday at practice, I did something to my knee that was really weird. I stopped, and my foot kind of stuck in the on the floor, and my kneecap went forward. I didn't tear anything, but the tendon on my kneecap, my patella, came off my kneecap. And we couldn't figure it out and I couldn't do anything. And so basically they put my, they put my uh, it was just painful as all get out. And then we put this thing on my knee, and I was straight leg, and it just kinda went back on there. Uh, huh. and then in the warmups to the Notre Dame game, Cree's gonna start, and in warm-ups, he kinda lands awkwardly and tears a cartilage in his knee. Oh. Oh my God. And so coach came to me on that Sunday, I was sitting over there on the, on the, uh, in the bleachers with ice on He came over and he said, Hey, you know what? This is a sign. This is just a sign. I, we're going to red shirt you. Um, uh, I'd rather do that anyways. And it's just, this will be the best thing for your career. Uh, and we had no idea what was going to happen with my knee. I mean, I could have been fine in a week and, right. and he just came over and said, look, this is a sign. Let's just redshirt you. And then Cree gets hurt, and they said, well, we're redshirting him, too. So it ended up being the best thing for me. Uh, physically, I just got – that's when I really started – I mean, Cree and I were knee injuries. We just went up and we'd go lift. And that's when I started getting stronger and realized how much that helped. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, it, it was good for me to redshirt. Because I was young. I mean, I was young for my age. I, I mean, I, like I said, I was uh, – uh, a very young senior in high school, so right. Um, it, it it definitely helped me. There's no doubt about that.
3: Well, the team does have a great year that yeah. year. Yeah. Oh uh, my gosh. Yeah, we were re- good. excellent, and they lose at Michigan. However, at the last game of the season, to miss out on a Big Ten title. Yeah, by which, third, is which was not real Correct. good.
0: Didn't set a, <laughs> did, not, did not set a good stage for the NCAA tournament because Knight was really, really mad about how we played. I mean, we lost by 30. I think it was 80 to 50. We it got was crushed. not
3: good. And then you get upset by Cleveland State in the first round of the NCAA. Yeah, tournament.
0: Cleveland State, we practiced. We had the worst practice we've ever had. So at that point, everybody that was on a white jersey were the red shirt guys. And we crushed the red team that whole week in practice. They couldn't break the press. They couldn't do I mean, we, it was bad. It was, I remember calling my dad saying, we're going to get our ass beat. He said, no. Wow. I said, Hey, this Cleveland state's pretty darn good. And we just had the worst week of practice. We did. We, we, and, and Knight was not happy about the way we competed up in Michigan. Uh, and it was just, we just didn't have a good preparation. And we went up there and sure enough, we get beat. And, but that set the stage, though. It really, um, it, it, you know, we, we had a couple guys transfer off of that, and then it was just good. I mean, and I'm sure we're going to get into it. But then, you know, we recruit Smart and Garrett, which right. helps us big time athletically, but they were good guys. I mean, Dean Garrett and Keith came right in, and, and Dean was more a little bit more vocal and outgoing. Keith was more a little reserved early on. Uh, trying to kind of find his, his way with coach. Where Dean played for a guy at at San Francisco Junior College who was, you know, he yelled and screamed. So Dean, Dean grew up in a, in a military family. So yeah, he, he was, Keith had to find his way a little bit Uh, and it, it took some time, but those guys wanted help. They, they asked, they, they, they wanted to be a part of it. They asked questions. They they just did the right thing. They fit in and it and it uh, because I, I'm not sure if that if that wouldn't have worked, it it I don't know what would have happened on the recruiting side of things, but they those guys were great guys and they fit in perfectly. And the thing that it was was like with Dean, we needed the center and we didn't have a center. I mean, Daryl was having to play center uh his junior year and so dean comes in plays center and and really we didn't have i wasn't really a point guard i could handle the ball nobody could take it from me and uh but i couldn't create plays and keith i mean we needed that so it wasn't like we were just bringing in more guy we were bringing in we brought in two things that we needed and joe Joey Wright did a great job finding those guys and really talking coach into taking junior college guys hey we need these guys and and I don't think it, it would have worked if they weren't good guys. You were
2: Knight's first recruit west of the Mississippi. He's bringing in guys from Louisiana and another Southern California guy. Had you crossed paths with Dean Garrett at all growing no, up?
0: No, not at all. No, because he was down in San Clemente, uh, which I think was in the southern, or which is was in the San Diego section. I don't even know if they played in the Southern section, but no, and and I don't think Dean's teams were you know all that good. Um, so no, I didn't, I didn't know Dean. Um, but, it, but is
2: there any kind of, uh, of bond you form as the two SoCal guys? Well, yeah,
0: did? I mean, it was great. I mean, it was, it was, Dean came in his locker was right next to mine. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I don't know. I mean, it, I, did we, uh, hang out because we were both from California? No, not really. I mean, we, you know, we just, you <laughs> just, uh, but it was – it was – I think I helped him a little bit with some stuff. and uh, But everybody – I mean, that was what – it was – you want to help guys because everybody knows how hard it is when you first get there. Uh, right. It's an adjustment. And I hear guys say all the time, oh, it's not going to bother me. Oh, yeah, okay, all right. Wait until it happens the first <laughs> time. Then come talk to us. First time he goes off on you, tell me it's not bothering you because it's a shock the first time. I mean – but once you're there a couple of years and you see it and everybody's getting it. and the guys that got it the most were the guys that played the most. He pushed the guys that were playing and he demanded way more out of those guys. And he expected more, um, you know, the hardest position in Indiana with coach Knight was the six and seven guys because look, you didn't have to play. Uh, and you had to, <laughs> you, you had to be perfect or the next guy was going to, take you out but once you were a guy that had to score and he needed you to score well you could you could mess up a little bit because he needed you to to score um so it, 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 it there wasn't anything like that with Dean and i it was more just um i mean we, we got along i mean we didn't really I,
2: I just imagine you guys going to burlington coat factory together and figuring out
0: how to survive an indiana winter that is something that i had to do because i didn't have a winter coat when i came to indiana. I, oh, boy. I didn't know that. I mean – Yeah. I didn't own a winter coat until I got to Indiana. That's great. So, one of the things that
3: Keith and Dean both told us that I, that I find not, not shocking, it actually is, is expected when you know what kind of teams Coach Knight built. But here are Keith and Dean, two guys who honestly have no understanding of what Indiana basketball is. They didn't, you know, grow up being yeah, Indiana. Yeah, no, not at all. But they come in and in their their junior years, I know because they're, they're junior college transfers, but their first year at Indiana, they both said to us almost immediately because of the older guys that were on the team, the guys that had been there, that that year was all about we have to win a Big Ten title for the seniors because we can't let them be the first group of seniors that go without winning a Big Ten title in their 40s. That never
0: crossed my mind because I wanted to win one for myself, so I didn't really give it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but can you talk a little bit just about how focused the team was on winning that Big Ten title and how
0: important that was to Cougs? I mean, I didn't, I didn't, to be honest with you, I did not think it was any different than any other year you wanted to win every game because i've told people numerous times there was never a big win at indiana but every (laughs) loss was the end of the world (laughs) and so you know you wanted to win because you, you you wanted to win I mean, Coach Knight made losing more miserable than winning was fun. I mean, that. that. I mean that, that's just the way it was. I mean, like I said, he said, hey, I didn't bring you here so we could lose. I brought you here to win. I expect we're going to win. But, you know, I remember it more with Daryl yanking Dean around uh, and getting Dean going, where Keith was more um, – we almost had to slow Keith down a little bit. And, you know, Keith did things that – Steve couldn't do I couldn't do the other guards couldn't do so one like we were we were kind of getting Keith to the right spots and you know where Daryl was yanking Dean around a little bit because yeah you know, they in the inside they worked really well together and, and they did a lot of in the office there's a lot of cross screening. and he could direct that where with Keith it was hey you know we got to get you to get the ball here but as Keith got more comfortable, then he realized when he could go on his own and when he had to kind of create and get the ball to Steve or get the ball to Daryl inside. And uh, I think you see some of that as, as the games progressed and Keith just kept getting better and better. Uh, but a big game at Ohio State when Keith kind of got oh, going yeah. and hit and scored a bunch of points, I think that relaxed him. And then, mm. he, like in the tournament, he really played well in the tournament. Um, but you know, coach didn't have any problem telling him, hey, I mean I remember telling him the championship game. Uh I went in and got him and he told me, goes, uh, you got one more chance or you're done. Um and
3: Well he used that one chance. Oh yeah. So he used it well. But
0: you know, and that's and that's where um y- you know the it, going back to that next year then. He saw Keith – we played a lot of three guards in those in those um, Final Four games mm-hmm. where I was handling the ball and Keith was kind of running around. And um, that's kind of where the three guard thing kind of started. And then the following mm-hmm. year, we did it with a bunch of success. Uh, with Lyndon and Jay. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know what Lyndon and Jay in my, my record was – somebody i'll look it up but when the three of us started as guards boy we didn't lose many games i know that Hmm.
3: well let's stay in 86 87 uh and because we've touched on steve alfred a couple times but you've now been with him at this point this is your third year with him how good was steve as a player for those that, that might be our younger fans that that are listening in, how good was he? Well, he was the
0: greatest shooter I've ever been around. I mean, it's not even close. Um, you know, were there better players, basketball players that I played with? Yeah, right. probably. But, man, you got that guy open, he made shots. And he worked his butt off. He was in great shape. Uh, stamina-wise, he was in great shape. Uh, and by far, and this isn't even debatable, it's not even close – took more heat from Coach Knight for other guys that I ever saw at Indiana. I mean, it's not even close. Um, You know, I remember the night that he scored 42 against Michigan State, he scored half our points, and Knight just unloads on him. We win, and Knight unloads on him. And I'm like, after the game, Knight walks out, I go, "What what are you talking about? This guy just scored half our points. We won the game. We don't have a chance against this. We, we lose badly if Alford doesn't play tonight. I mean, I remember, you know, going, what the? You gotta be kidding me. Um, but Steve was very mentally tough. Um, and he wanted to win. You know, unfortunately, he he just, you know, he wasn't 6'5, 6'6, and you could just take over. But right, he was clutch and he made big shots and when you got him over, open, boom, he was gonna I've never seen a guy shoot like this before. I mean, I used to think I was a great shooter. Oh, I mean it was unbelievable. Steve Steve would make Steve would make, you know, we go out and shoot threes after practice right. He'd make 25 straight threes in a row. I mean, like nothing. Oof. Um, so yeah, and and
3: and, and competitive, right? He yeah, was he's competitive. competitive. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. He 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 wanted to win. Uh, but you know, the other thing too is Steve knew way more than anybody else the whole Indiana basketball thing grew up with it as a little kid you know I mean he understood the history of it I mean he he was the guy that probably it weighed on him the most of never winning a Big Ten championship I think that weighed on him big time uh, and it was such a relief uh that it, it just kind of freed us up in the tournament but you know, nobody ever, thought, so let, nobody, nobody about ever thought about that. Nobody really ever thought about that except really Steve because he slammed Steve on it. Now, that night would bury Steve on that all the time, um. and which was kind of crappy. But, um, you know, most guys go through there and they win one when they're a sophomore or junior or whatever, so you don't have to worry about it when you're a senior because you had seniors leading the way and they won for you. <laughs> so
3: Right. Um, well, and, yeah. and you clinch it on senior <laughs> day. You clinch it on the last day of the, the season against Ohio State. Well, we again. needed help.
0: We needed Purdue yes, to Yes, you lose. did.
3: You did, and Purdue did because that's what they do. Well, they got caught.
0: Uh, well, and we we had a pretty good idea Purdue was going to go up to Michigan to lose because people just didn't win at Michigan back then. Right.
3: Well, Michigan also was excellent oh, back they were then. I mean, Gary oh. Grant, they had a hey, great look, team.
0: I hear people talk. The Big Ten in the mid-80s, the 80s, mid-80s, late-80s, was the best league, and it wasn't even close. I mean, I, my senior kid. year, every team had three or four NBA guys. Illinois, By Iowa, way, Michigan, Iowa, Iowa was number one in the country. You know, at one I, mean, point. I mean, even <laughs> Minnesota had two guys that played in the NBA. I mean, it was it was crazy, crazy. So, uh, yeah, and it was tough to win on the road, and, and but we laid an egg a little bit up at Purdue and at and at uh, Illinois to to be in command. And then now all of a sudden we're needing help, but I think we had a pretty good idea that we needed to win, and obviously then Purdue would have to pull some crazy stuff out. So, um, you know, it definitely helped uh, them being on the road, obviously. And we didn't really play very well to start that game against Ohio State at home. I remember it was it, – it, it, there was tension. There was tension – not mm-hmm. from coach there was just tension amongst ourselves, God, we gotta win this game. We gotta win this game. Um and and we didn't really start off very well. And yeah, I mean we didn't play great until probably the last twelve minutes of the game and then pulled away from it. So um but yeah, that was a great, great experience of kind of sitting around and then we and then we started hearing the scores and, and it was like, Hey, we you know, we are gonna be a big ten champ. So oh, it was good. And then, and then the next day we get the number one seed in the Midwest. That was huge. Yes,
3: yeah, because that's really the key. That winning that game and winning the Big Ten, obviously great, but it clinches you a chance to play in
0: Indianapolis, which oh, is big. Yeah, and yeah, and Cincinnati, basically. I mean, we had to go. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I was, it was that was huge. That was huge. So
3: you've been at Indiana now for a couple of years. This is your third year at in Indiana. You came here. Like you said, you came to Indiana because you wanted to play on a national championship team. Your first two years, Indiana has not won an NCAA tournament game, and now you're in the tournament. And, Joe, this is – you are a big contributor here. You are either the sixth or seventh man in almost every game. You know, I think you started a couple games that year, right? Yeah, somebody
0: Um, got got in trouble, so I started – Well, I I, I probably started – I probably started five or six early on and then smart. And then Cowley got hurt, and so we played three guards right. then. So, yeah, I mean, um, you know, when Cowley got hurt, I probably started, you know, I don't know, who cares, five or six games, no matter.
3: So you crush Fairfield in the tournament, but I, we've talked to Keith and Dean. I love talking about your second-round game against Auburn because that game was rough. And Auburn smacks you guys in the mouth at the beginning of that game. Oh, we, what do you remember for that well,
0: game? I remember the TV timeout, or our timeout. We were down 24-12. to 12, And Knight uh, just said, okay, you guys want to keep playing your way? We'll just get our ass beat. You want to start doing the things that we set up? Uh, then we'll, we'll be okay. And, you know, and he was yelling and screaming. And, and it kind of, we played it. Well, one of the problems was that was the – I think it was the first year they did drug testing after the game. We played the late game against Fairfield. It probably started at ten. We did not get out of the Hoosier Dome until probably two thirty on oh, wow. Friday night, and then we had to play the twelve o'clock game on Sunday for TV purposes. Uh, Got but, it. You, you know, it was a that was a tough turnaround. Even though we beat fairly dick. who did we play? Fairfield. We, Fairfield. Uh, Fairfield. Uh, fairly Dickens. <laughs> uh, and you know we just started off terrible but then we got going and then then they started off oh, I and mean, we're just yapping their mouse off and yeah and it did get a little ugly and then and, and I, I think we ended up winning by 30. Um, oh
3: you crush them but it was what i loved is it kind of get it seemed like it jump-started you guys like they were yapping it got your guys backs up Steve got into some stuff. Dean got involved. Like everybody, uh, was yakking and it just seemed like, all right, we figured it out now. Now let's go do this thing. And you
0: crush
3: them the rest of the game. Yeah. Just absolutely roll them.
0: Well, I mean, they, they, they had some good players, but they weren't a great team. Um, you know, I mean, we just, we just started off so poorly, but, um, I don't know. You know, you, you, you say that and then all of a sudden now we have another tournament in the next in the regional. And that's kind of how coach uh did that. He said, Hey, we got a, we got a mini tournament here. We got, you know, two two games this weekend. We gotta win this deal. And then and then it became we're gonna go play Duke and we gotta win, you know, we gotta play eighty minutes there. So uh, you know, I mean that, that that I don't know if that jump started us as much as it just we just kind of kept building on it and building on it and um you know, we didn't we didn't really I, to be we just didn't really play that. I mean, our best game in the tournament was probably Vegas, and the other games yeah. we really didn't play all that great. I mean, we didn't play great against Duke. Um, we surely didn't play it great. We
3: definitely didn't play great against we LSU. We did not play well at all
0: against LSU, and we and and the game against Syracuse was you know, it's a great game because there was drama. But it wasn't a really well-played game. Both teams were tired uh, from playing. It was really humid down in New Orleans. Uh guy, I mean, it was guys were worn out a little bit. So it wasn't a clean game. Uh, but I think that's where our mental toughness and our and our competitiveness and our battle and our ability to win close games was huge. I mean, that was just huge. Well, let's talk
3: about the final four. I mean, Again, you came to Indiana to win national championships. Coach told you I'll give you a chance each year, and here you are. You beat Duke, you beat LSU on a last second shot, and you are playing in the final four. What do you remember about just coming back to Bloomington after that weekend where you were making the final four? Heroes welcome, celebration uh, Yeah, it was crazy.
0: So we get back on yeah. We get back on Sunday night. And I don't know, there was probably 5,000 people out at the out the Bloomington <laughs> Airport. So we're all patting each other on the back, and we all think we're kings of the world. We're going to the Final Four. Monday we show up. You know, we don't play till Saturday, so we're thinking Monday is going to be kind of an off day. We get to the locker room on Monday, and it says, get taped or get dressed, get taped, which meant you're going full blast.
3: And we're all like,
0: you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> um, you know, we're all pretty tired. We got back pretty late, so we go out. We're you,
3: partied, you partied
0: for 40 minutes no, I don't know about out. that because we knew we had to be at practice. And so um, we go out, and we do our normal thing. We're shooting around, and Coach says, all right, let's go in. So we go in, and Coach doesn't come in the locker room, and sure enough, Fellon grabs a stat sheet and says, Hillman, my God, you scored three points in one minute. Coach would play you 40 minutes. You could score 120. <laughs> so and they totally set me up because i said well tell the dumb son of a bitch to play me more <laughs> coach walks around the locker room and says looks down at me and says hillman there'll never be a day in indiana when you play 40 minutes <laughs> <laughs> and everybody laughs and giggles and yucks it up on me but they i mean Felling knew i would pop off because that's just who i was on that team uh, right i was kind of the guy that that had a mouth uh, so we go out and practice and we go through 20 minutes of hell nobody could do anything right he yelled and screamed for 20 minutes kicks us out says if you guys got no interest in coming down and playing down we might as well not even go to new orleans if this is the worst thing if this is what you guys are going to be i got no interest don't even waste my time blah 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 so we go in kicks us out so we, and then we you know we go in and talk hey guys come on come on come out, blah 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 and we go back out on the court and he says, no no we're done get out of here i don't want to see you guys until you're ready to practice and ready to play shuts the lights off well that means you are done because it takes <laughs> forever for the lights to come back on so, yeah. we, <laughs> so we leave come back the next day tuesday have a great practice Uh, But he starts that practice off by saying, all right, here's the deal with Vegas. We are not going to play four passes. I want the first good shot taken. I don't care who it is. You get a good look. We're taking it. We're not playing 45 seconds against their D. They will wear us out. But we can get really good looks early on with their scramble press and stuff. So anybody that gets one, I want it taken. And we're all like, holy shit, this is great. We're going to run with these guys.
3: Yeah. Um,
0: um, you know, which is what we all, you know, everybody wants to do that because you think you're good enough and you can do it. And, and it's fun. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> so I go back and I look now three years, four years, and this is the brilliance of Coach Knight. He had absolutely nothing prepared. He hadn't looked at Vegas' tape yet. He hadn't done nothing when we show up on Monday. <laughs> and he just out to make sure that we're ready to go the next day.
3: That is okay. awesome.
0: There's no doubt in my mind. It wasn't because we were bad. It was a total deal. We're going to go run around for 15 or 20 minutes just to get legs going. And then I'm kicking these guys out. That was premeditated. There's no doubt in my mind. And did
2: you have uh, any idea at the time? You were in in the presence of a master psychologist. No, that was all after the fact. We
0: just thinking, Jesus, this guy's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? What are we doing here? So, but when he says that, and then after the practice on Tuesday, I'll never forget this too. He comes in and says, "Hey, now here's the deal. This is not going to be a fun trip. We're going down there to play 80 minutes, and we're going down there to win two games." These other teams are going down there tonight. The other teams might go down there tomorrow. We're going down there on Friday, and we're going to win two games. Now, if you guys want to go to New Orleans after you graduate and have fun, that's fine. But we're going down there to win two games, not to go have fun. All right, here we go. So now we're going to go through our regular routine. And it was great. We show up. We had great practice on that Tuesday. We had great practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're practicing at 9 a.m. and we got to leave because we got to be in New Orleans for our designated shoot around at one. And we go out and he says, All right, Red, bring it in. Meaning we're going to start at half court. We're going to run our offense. White convert on a miss. And we run it. First play Alford hits a shot. He goes, We're ready to go. Let's go win two games. And we left. Oh,
2: yes. Did you just feel like you could have?
0: We were were so ready to go. It was so perfect. We go down to New Orleans. All the other teams are there. We're total businesslike, and we're ready to go. And we're kind of excited, I think, because we're going to go play a game that nobody's expecting us. We're going to go, and we're going to go up and down the floor. And it was uh, it, it it was great, and, and we you know we played really well in that Vegas game. Now it was a sloppy game, but Vegas makes it kind of a helter skelter game. But we played well in that game, and we executed well, things. And we, but, but but really, if you go back to all the NCAA tournament games, like I said prior, we we didn't play all that great in in games, and the Vegas game was the best one we played.
3: Well, the Vegas game for the reasons you have laid out, which we have not heard somebody articulate that that specificity, which is so great. And Joe, you have a huge game in the UNLV game. You play a ton, you score seven points, three rebounds, three assists. And again, from a fan's perspective, it was, this was one of those moments. I was a kid, you know, I'm 43 now, 43 years old. I was, you know, I was 10, 10 years old. Yeah. At the time. yeah. But I remember it clearly because my dad was a Hoosier and he was watching the game with me. It was, this was the moment for at least me where it was like, he's a genius. Coach is a genius because no one expected us to do that. We couldn't run with them. And even Billy Packer, I remember it. Well, what Indiana really has to do is slow the game down. That's the only way Indiana can, can compete here is slow the game down. And we ran those sons of bitches off the court, 97 points in a final four game and it had to feel amazing, right? Just be selfish for a second. I know you want the team to win, but you play huge in a final four game <laughs> to help us get to the title
0: game. What does that feel like? Well, it was great, and I remember I remember when i gets the dunk to seal it, and I'm yes. waving them, and I'm waving him on to go. And I remember everybody jumping up and down, and I go, "Hey, whoa, 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 whoa! Hey, we got one more game to play on Monday." And Alfred goes, "Ah, shut up, Joe. We're gonna enjoy this." <laughs> 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 so all right uh, well, I, yeah I, no, just, I, I mean but 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 then it you know what look nothing was said it was all right we got to get going We're, we got to get going to to Syracuse and and we went back we ate we had a meeting the next day uh coach came in and said all right um how's everybody feeling he said, I don't know if we should go and shoot around. And and it would have been – everybody's thought process would have been, no, Coach, let's go because we thought that's what he wanted to hear. And, and Steve said, mm-hmm. Coach, I'm gassed. He, he, he goes, we don't need to go shoot. Or, or Coach said, well, do you think we need to go over and shoot? And, and he said, "Nah, no, I don't think we need to go do that. And he said, all right, let's just walk through a bunch of stuff. So we didn't even go practice on Sunday. Um which, you know, which I think helped us. But it was, as soon as we beat uh, Vegas, it was on to Syracuse. I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, that's just the way it was. I mean, like I said, never a big win, but every loss was the end of the world. (laughs) I mean, that's just the way it was.
2: Now, you're talking about the business-like, you know, you guys are gassed. But I get nervous thinking about, what you're about to go do and I know that you end up winning is nerves something that factors into you know that weekend in between the games leading up to the game
0: is that something that that you you have to cope with that's where night was great everything was the same it didn't matter where we were going there was never a big game everything was exactly the same we walked through we did this it was a regimented deal. And so he kept guys that were 18 to 22 years old on an even keel. And we were going to go through our routine. We're going to walk through, we're going to go, but the, there was anxiety. I mean, you you have a nervous energy. Uh, but the worst part is not when you're playing, when you get on the floor and things are going, you're just in the moment you're playing and it's like any other game. It's not a big deal. It's sitting and watching on the bench and, that's what's tough. Um especially when you know you're gonna get into play, like like for myself, you know, I'm thinking, okay, when am I getting in? When am I getting in? When am I getting in? Um, because you just want to get in and, and run around a little bit, and then the second time you're in, it's fine. Um mm-hmm. so it it really when you're on the floor, it it you don't even think about that stuff. It's, it's sitting in the anticipation, and, and like I said, you just have some nervous energy warming up and getting going and when you're going to get in the game. And that's why I think it's easier for guys to start games um, because you know you're you're playing right away. And, and and coming off the bench, I think, sometimes is a little harder just because you never know when you're going to get in. Now, some mm-hmm. guys, some coaches had normal routines where you're going in after the first time out, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, in Indiana, if everybody's playing well, you weren't getting in. And then it usually took somebody screwing up where he got mad at the guy and he gets you and you're like, oh, okay, well, I can't screw this up. (laughs) Um, But no, so it was just normal routine. And then that's what I appreciated as I got older about what Coach Knight did to make the game easier for us. Um, But the expectation was we're going to win. And you know, let's move on. They Beating Vegas is no good if we don't go beat Syracuse. Who cares? Nobody remembers who comes in second.
2: Is there any part of the the strategy specifically? They have Sherman Douglas. They have Ronnie Cycli. They have Derek Coleman. Do you remember any particular adjustments or strategy going in to take on that team and their, you know, their famed zone defense, or was it more back to, okay, now we're just going to go back and play how we do,
0: yeah it was more you know when you have short periods of time, your adjustment thing has to go back to what we do well and and where we're at with things. Um, but they didn't do they didn't play a lot of zone back then. They played more man to man. so it was really running our regular offense, but it was the matchups, and the focus was, look, we got to make sure we keep these guys off the boards. Uh, but there wasn't any specific deal that I remember that, hey, we're going to take advantage of this, this, or that, because you really you had a day to prepare. So it was more walking through their sets on offense, us defending that, um, you know, what we were going to switch, how we were going to play certain situations that they ran offensively. So we did more defensive. Preparation and, and really offensively, we went through a little bit of their, they played zone and then we were just going to run a regular offense. So, I mean, the thing with our regular offensive motion for the passing game, it was all predicated you cut where the defense wasn't. I mean, so, you know, the defense dictated where you cut to. So it didn't, there's, you know, it wasn't like we had to go set up any set plays or anything like that. So that, you know, again, you have a short period of time and so you got to rely more on what you've done and what you know and it would have been really interesting if we would have played syracuse first and then one day and then played vegas might have been different i don't know yeah um
3: so you know it's funny i've heard this about coach i'm wondering if you would agree with this i have heard from a couple different people that when it actually came to like draw up a play x's and o's like come up with one play that that was actually not Coach's
0: strong So Yeah, like no, he's a G. He, he, he didn't – because we, we rarely did any of that. Right. And but even, but the last, even the last play of the game in the Syracuse game it was, let's go run our regular offense. And then they tricked <laughs> us up a little bit, and they went to a box and one, which kind of messed us up. Because at the timeout, when we fouled Coleman, he called a timeout when Coleman was getting to the line, and we all came over, and he said, all right, When Coleman misses this, we got 29 seconds. (laughs) I want the first good shot taken, but I don't want to have a bad shot. If you get open, step up and knock it in. Let's not take this down to the wire, but don't – let's not force anything. Let's run a regular offense and get the first good shot. So, Coleman misses, and we bring the ball down the floor, and – they're in a box in one, and I remember kind of motioning smart, like, "Oh boy, here we go! You got to get here. You know, you don't have. We got to get guys in position for five, ten seconds to to make the team. right." And then obviously we're looking for Steve, and they got it pretty covered. And um, you know, I mean, it just ends up being a, a, a good play, but we didn't force anything, and and we we were patient. Um, and now I think that that ended up you no, know, it was huge, but you know, with the way the rules were back then. You know, we scored four seconds ago. They The clock stops. They call timeout. Well, the clock back then didn't stop until somebody called timeout, and they didn't, which was huge because uh, the ball went in with four wait, seconds. Wait wait, wait, wait,
3: wait. Stop. Joe, do you realize that you just told us everything except for
0: the actual shot being made? Well, yeah. I mean, he, everybody knows Smart made the shot. Why don't he yeah. make- <laughs> I know, but No, I want to know. I got to get, because look,
3: you have to understand, I'm 10 years old right now with you talking about this. And I remember every moment of it. And part of my memory of it is the interview with you after the game, right in the middle of the court, where you have a great quote about,
0: you know, you looked up and it was, do you remember what you said? Uh, I think it was, that was game over. That was it. No, that was it. It was bucket. It was bucket. No, that's not. You go back and watch that. Daryl Thomas. And I everybody says that. You go back and watch Daryl Thomas was the guy saying, Bucket, bucket. But I said, you didn't say bucket. I said bucket one time when I said I saw Dean or Keith go to the baseline, shoot. I went to the bucket. I looked up, and that was it. I was telling bucket, me my memory bucket. of this. Go is watch wrong? it. Because I, I hate that because. Daryl was just – Why do you hate <laughs> it? He doesn't want to take – Go back and watch it. I said – I'm well, Hold on. I'm pulling it up right now. And I looked up, and that was it. Hold on. I am pulling it up right now.
2: Okay. And I'll take this time to ask you, you know, about the strategy. In that second half, Coach does go to a three-guard lineup primarily uh, bringing you onto the floor for yeah. so, so much of the stretch. Was that something you guys talked about at halftime? No, that, that, that had happened
0: to it? Like, um, I got in, I was playing all right. I made a good play at the end of the half. Um, you know, then, he, then he, he yanked Smart out to uh, – I went back in for Smart at the start of the half, like a minute or two in. And then when Smart came back in – uh he got Callaway out and then things just started gelling offensively and he just left it.
2: Uh, so yeah, just going with the hot hand, seeing what's working and like Yeah, head, I mean
0: like, we started let's go. You know, we started scoring. Smart didn't have to handle the ball as much, and then what was great was Syracuse matched up with us and put in three guards and really took mm-hmm. one of their better players off the floor. And they put in Stevie Thompson, who was not non-scorer. And you know, so we had Steve guard him, um, which kind of allowed him to not have to spend as much energy defensively. And uh, so yeah, so that 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 helped.
3: All right, I think you were right.
0: I'm gonna play what you say. Wait, wait, I know I was right. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. All right, here we go. Here is no, 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 tell everybody on this show because I know there's millions of people that listen to this. I was not the guy
3: screaming, bucket, bucket, bucket. I know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play it. I'm actually going to play it right now. I'm going to play it. So what happened is they start to – they grab you and Daryl kind of together. Yes,
0: it was Steve and Keith. Yes, it was and then you and It was Keith Darryl. first, then Steve, then Daryl and I were the next two guys. And you're right. And then they're talking
3: to Daryl, and then they're showing the replay. And so Daryl is talking underneath the replay yep. and he does say, and it was Bucket, it was Bucket. And then this is you. I know, I
0: mean, Joe Hillman, how did you view the play? I just saw same thing, Daryl saw. He kicked it in the post. It was meant to go to Steve. He kicked it back out to Keith. Keith went to the baseline and shot it. I went right to the bucket for a board or anything. I went
1: straight
3: down and that was it. <laughs> I was a little excited. All right. So you did say the no word. Bucket, but not in the context right. that I remember. Right. But the joy on your face when you—I mean, because they. Well, they listen to my voice, God. I mean, uh, That's uh, exciting
0: so, as all I get out.
3: Just what is that? You, you, you are a sports guy your whole life. You're 20 years old at this point. You came to Indiana to play in the national championship, and you didn't just play in the championship game. You were a huge contributor. By the way, you are the epitome of the what you explained earlier about you don't have to score to win six assists in that game, three steals. You're in the game for the last play of the game.
0: Just what's running through your head in that moment? Well, it was just pure, uh, well, one is excitement. And then it's just, that's, you're at the top of the deal and that's what you're there for. And that's what, you know, you're playing for. And, and, you know, I always remember nobody could ever take that away. They're always going to call you a national champ. And it was just, uh, yeah, again, so much excitement. And at the time, you're just going, oh, my gosh, we won, we won. And and I remember when they didn't call timeout, I've been mean, walking over and going, oh, my God, we're going to win. We're going to win this game. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, it just – it, it, it never it didn't really sink in it, you're just again you're just so excited and now you, it's almost a relief because you know hey we're done we don't have to go beat somebody else uh we've done it <laughs> and um yeah I mean it was uh sitting down in the locker room after all that stuff is like oh this is what I came here for this is this is what great does, now we got to go what do it does again coach? <laughs> Yeah, now you gotta go do it
3: again. What you got two more years left. Yeah. What does what does coach do in the locker room? Does coach celebrate? Is he I mean, I know this is gonna sound stupid, but is he hugging people? No. Is he smiling? No. Like so, what is he
0: doing? So what when, when we do the uh so we go in, when we were with coach, coach would go do his deal, and I think Steve and Keith and I don't know, maybe Daryl, somebody went to the the media thing and then the rest of the media came into the locker room and doing stuff and i remember um i remember bob lee i'll never forget this bob lee is working for espn and there's i don't know six seven reporters around the on my locker we're, we're doing interviews and bob lee clicks on and says joe walk us through the last 29 seconds so i tell exactly what i'd say to you guys coach says Let's get the first good shot. I don't care who it is, but let's not take a bad one. Let's not force anything. But if you get a good shot, step up and make it. And right then Coach Knight walks by and says, yeah, Bob, but Joe knew not to take it. <laughs> <laughs> and I just sit down like, you got to be kidding
1: me. Because Coach is walking back title. in the
0: locker room. <laughs> uh, no, but, I, but I will say this this is when I really felt like I was a part of the Indiana basketball. Coach is sitting in the locker or in the, so we we're in the new orleans saints you know the the superdome lockers, and their showers are massive there's you know big big huge uh yeah i mean there there's fifty heads in a deal, and another you know you can walk in and go left to showers, you can walk in and go right to showers so coach is sitting with a bunch of guys all on chairs in one of the lockers and he doesn't see me, but I go to walk in and I hear him say that goddamn Hillman earned his scholarship tonight. We don't win without him. Oh, and wow. the right then and there, I said, Oh my gosh, I you know, I'm a part of Indiana basketball.
3: Forever. Holy hell. Forever. So, he, I, I, he, that's ahead. amazing. I just want to live in that
0: moment for a second. Oh, so it chills. So, I mean, really. I mean, I, I, I felt, you know, Oh yeah. The guy, you know i'm i'm a part of all this oh wow i mean and coach didn't know you were there no he didn't right? see me because his back was his back was to me um now i don't know uh, maybe he did I mean, maybe he gotta did gotta see me everything. but <laughs> i i think if he would have saw me he would have said jesus christ let me not score a point we still win
3: <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow joe that is oh. special sorry oh. ward i live in
0: that no it's
2: it is and it's we love getting those unique moments that I don't know if they've you know I've certainly never heard about them before if you've spoken about them before um because we love to hear about how brilliant coach is and and why he did what he did and how but to know how much that means to a player to hear that from a coach Especially when the coach doesn't know he's listening.
0: Yeah, but- no, I mean it was like I said, I got chills, and it just made me feel proud. I mean it was just, um, yeah, I mean it was just a great, yeah, it ended a great night. Let's put it that way.
3: But it, was it put- your, were, were your parents at the game?
0: Yeah, yeah, my I had, uh, uh, my parents were there, my my dad's parents were there, and my brother and sister were there, and then the girl I was dating at the time were there. So we had we had seven or eight people there.
2: So, but you said you really felt a part of it at that point.
0: And oh, yeah. I mean, for him when, to say that, hey, Jesus, we don't win it film. You know, we don't win without Hillman tonight. But, and was, but then you
2: know. also for, for those of us who weren't privy to that, we have got to see what is one of the single greatest plays and shots in college basketball history. Ever since. And that was the year they started doing one shining moment with like an ultimate one shining moment. Moment. I'm wondering through the years, as you see that come up every year in March and often at other times in highlight packages, do, do your feelings change? Does it all rush back to you? Do you appreciate it more? Like, what is it like being part of such a seminal moment of, of Indiana basketball history and college basketball history? But well, now, yeah, I mean, now that
0: every time they show it, I mean, you you just get to say, hey, look, they're showing our game, and I was a part of it, and I won it. And, again, they can't take that away from you. You're always going to be called a national champ. Um, and it just was a uh, – it's just great. And then, you know, as my kids got older, they, they, they started to understand a little more about it and about – how big the NCA tournament is and um yeah I mean it's 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 a special time of the year just to reminisce and and remember what happened I mean it's it, 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 it's hard not to feel good about it every single year it's just it's great
3: well Joe, I will tell you that during this last six months of quarantine, especially lockdown out here in LA, I have made my kids watch several old Indiana games, including this one. And you'll be happy to know that my ten-year-old daughter, when watching the interviews after the game and you came on, she did say, "He's cute." Yeah. <laughs> so, for generations to come, you are a, a an athletic heartthrob for for many Hoosier generations. Okay. Give us a little taste of what it's like now going back to Bloomington as national champion.
0: Um you know, it's fun going back because you see people and, and they appreciate. It. I mean, the, the people that really know Indiana basketball, when you go down to a game, they they always say stuff. Hey Joe, hey Joe, God, I love watching you play, I appreciate the way you play. So I mean it's great. Um it, it it's it's different though because night's not there anymore um, mm-hmm. so it, it's just <clears throat> the people remember it but the, you know i mean these players that are playing today they weren't even born when we won the oh. national championship so but do
3: you at least get free meals at like little Zagrebs? like i would think you should not be paying for any meals no i can pay, pay for
0: ever. those now so i needed that more back uh. in school <laughs>
3: well, well listen i, I, I was just okay. gonna ask because
2: i thought this is where you were going eric what was it like just coming back to Bloomington as a basketball player who had just won the national championship, who did not have to practice the next day or the next week?
0: Well, what I was, mean, it, what was, what was fun is, you know, we win it all and we all go down to bourbon street. We have a great time. And I remember coach saying, all right, bus is leaving tomorrow at 7.00 AM. Don't be late. <laughs> God, and then I he mean- said, and then he said, and remember who you are representing tonight. You are representing Indiana University. Be smart. And we all went out, we had a great time. And but then, you know, when I saw the pictures on Kirkwood and then at the fountain, I always thought, man, how much fun would it have been to go back to Bloomington that night and just be with all the students and everybody that was still down on campus? It would have been unbelievable. But when you did get back, that still had to be special. Oh, it you had a big crowd week. It was a fun week, but I had to go play baseball. I mean, I was on the baseball field on oh, – I wouldn't play yeah. baseball on uh, – we came back Tuesday. I went out on the baseball field on Wednesday and then and oh, then had games on. We went to the – I went out and practiced on Wednesday and Thursday, and then we went to the White House on Friday, and then I played games on Saturday and Sunday. Jeez, Holy – So did
3: you shake hands with President Reagan? Yep.
0: Got a great got a great picture of it. Oh mm-hmm. thrill of a lifetime. I mean Do you still have the picture? Oh yeah. Oh
3: yeah. Oh you gotta send that. You gotta send that to me.
0: Text that to All me right. so I, mean, I can I put that out for it I've got it in my, you know, we I blew everything out of my office. So uh but yeah, no, it it was uh and I don't understand. And and there's so much disrespect for the office in the uh in the White House now. It's sickening. Um I don't care who was president, it could have been it could have been Clinton, it could have been Kennedy, it could have been Barack Obama, I had gone. To say you shook hands with a president? I mean, these guys now, they think they're bigger than presidents. That's what's disgusting. I mean, it was, it was, awe. you were awestruck. When we went into the Oval Office, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was just, it's hard to describe, but, um yeah it was really it was a, that that was really neat something i'll never forget and he walked well, out i'm sure he had it. somebody i'm sure he had an earpiece and he walked right up to me and said joe great game oh I mean, he said by my name I mean, he, he knew who we were now again he may have had an earpiece in there and somebody said okay joe hillman when he went to the next guy so but yeah no that was a great Uh, Went out to the Rose Garden. I mean, it was fun. I mean, that was – how many people get to shake hands and meet a president? you. that's amazing. Did did he
2: offer you any of California's greatest delicacy,
0: Jelly Bellies? No, he didn't.
2: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That might just be for visiting dignitaries. But, you know, uh, just just to have gone through that really historical process – and then get back onto the baseball field. Is it just surreal? Do you sometimes like wh- what life am I
1: living
0: here? Well, I'll tell you what. Just a- you know what happened when I got out to baseball. Then when we'd go on the road, people knew who I was. Mm. And, nice. You know. Now we got. I mean, there's. We'd go to. We went to Indiana State, and I caught all sorts of hell. We went to Michigan State. And <laughs> caught all. You know. I mean, they were razzing me and ragging on me, but. Uh, no, it was all fun and it was great. And, you know, you hear that I get back. Yeah. What are you doing? Go shoot baskets. Duh, duh, you're not, do that either duh, duh. you know, I mean, but, um, you know, again, it was such a great, it, that, that was just a, now that, that was probably my worst year at Indiana baseball was that year. Um, just because I didn't get out for so late, it, it was hard to get off that emotional high for Uh, sure
3: i can't i cannot imagine it listen joe for people that are listening it is after midnight where joe is right now in in zionsville and ward and i are it's just 9 15 so it's good for us but there's no way we're going to finish joe's career in this podcast so joe we'd love to end it here and then do a part two with you because your senior year is one of my favorite Indiana teams and I think one of the most overlooked Indiana teams oh, and
0: I want to get yeah. to Well, why don't we just keep going? You guys can cut it up. Are you sure? Yeah, you, you're fine. okay to well, keep I mean, going? Who cares? We don't, tw- That's fine. It doesn't matter. I, All right. I, I, I love talking about this stuff. It it just is well, great. So, do so we. much fun and I love telling the stories. I've got, you know, Oh, I thought guys for sure you were going to kill us stuff. for
3: keeping you. <laughs> no, I know. You've got a great memory. All right, so let's roll. So you go through baseball, and now you're back into Indiana, where where now you really are a leader on this team. You've been there a while now. You're you're coming into your really your fourth year in Indiana, and it's a changing of the guard, really, with Steve and Daryl uh, leaving, and it's a new era of Indiana basketball, and in come the new hotshots, Jay Edwards and Lyndon Jones, high school teammates. Mr. Basketball, State of Indiana. What is it like coming off a championship year and knowing that really the team is very, very different? What, what was that transition like?
0: Well, you know, it's, it, we didn't think that it was going to be any different. We just assumed, okay, here we go. I'm going to play the shooting guard, and, uh, you know, Isle's going to step in, and, and we're going to be damn good again um and we're gonna we're gonna be bit we're gonna have a chance to win it all again um Hmm. and you know we started off okay it was that was kind of a difficult year though and we had some we had some bickering in the locker room there's no doubt about that uh guys kind of started point fingers at each other and um it was not a it was not a uh started off as a close team, but then it got to, we, we had some issues. Uh, Nothing, nothing that was drastic, but we started losing in the big 10. I think we started off one and four. um, And then that's when Knight made some changes. And that's when he went to Jones, Edwards and Hillman. um, And then we started winning
3: and
0: (laughs) that, um, but.
3: And Keith, Keith really got benched a lot.
0: Yeah. Keith got benched um, and so did Callaway. Uh, but then we started winning, and Knight was like, hey, guys, you better start doing more in practice because we're winning with these guys, but we were small. I mean, we basically played Dean and four guards, Um, and we got crushed on the boards a couple nights, and it just, you know, we, um, I don't know. It was just, you know, obviously replacing. I mean, Daryl was a great college basketball player. I mean, he scored for us. He defended for us. He rebounded for us. And you know, it's with Steve. I mean, do was guy average twenty? It's hard to replace. And 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 Edwards came in and started scoring for us, but but not in the consistency that Steve had. So, uh, what we thought was going to be easy to replace, I think, in the minds, you know, you just don't think about, you don't you don't you don't think about stuff like that with with Daryl and Steve being gone, going oh my gosh, these guys are so good. They're going to be a possible place. You just think, Hey, next guy's going to play and we're going to be just as good. I mean, that's the mentality you have, but you know, in reality that that didn't happen or we lost two great college basketball players. um, And we lost a guy that night could get all over. Now he started blasting me, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't playing a ton, you know, I was playing, starting, whatever, but, um, we had better players on the team, um, right. you know, and, and then it just it just, uh, just kind of snowballed and it all fell apart really one day in practice where Smart and Callaway weren't playing very well and I was on him and he finally said, put white jerseys on, boom, and he put uh, Jones and I think, I don't know who else, Red, and then so we started playing with me, Edwards, and and, uh, and Jones of the guard, and we went over to Ohio State, and we beat Ohio State. He kept with it. We won it. I think we won eight, seven or eight games in a row. Um,
3: and you finished the year 10-3. Well, well, yeah. 10 and, three
2: and before we get too, uh, too far ahead, though, because right after Ohio State, you do take down Purdue. And what we do like to talk to players about, specifically those who are transplants and did not grow up with the hatred for Purdue and Kentucky specifically, wh- when did those feelings develop in you? How strong were they? What, like the, the hatred for Purdue, we feel born and raised. Is that something that, that you bought into pretty quickly? What When did that happen for No,
0: see, just, I never got into that. No, um, don't say that, Joe. We don't, no, we don't I like didn't. it when you're not grow up, up. I didn't grow up playing against these guys. You know, I didn't really know these guys. I mean, Knight made it a bigger thing. Knight made it a bigger thing to beat Kentucky than to beat Purdue. Mm. Knight had way more respect for Purdue's program and Coach Katie than Kentucky's program. Not even close. And did you <clears throat> adopt that? Oh, you, Did you adopt those feelings? Oh, you knew that. I'd much rather beat Kentucky because the problem was when you play Kentucky, it was usually on a Saturday in early December, and you didn't play till the next Saturday. So if you lost, that was a brutal week of practice. <laughs> <laughs> I love that that's why. That's so, why you want to uh, – <laughs> You know, but Purdue had good teams and, and I like Katie. Katie liked me. Um, uh, so yeah, that 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 for me, I, I to be honest, I preferred beating Tom Davis in Iowa more than I like yeah. The Purdue thing. And that's just because I didn't grow up. Uh I didn't you know, I didn't play against these guys in high school, so it wasn't there wasn't that. I mean, it – But you you still had to get a
2: little extra up for well, games you could tell because of you, the crowds. You, I'll,
0: I'll tell you, the crowd, you could sense it with the crowd for sure. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And and Knight didn't want to lose to Katie, and it was a big recruiting thing. But it wasn't ever – you know, when we recruited back then, we, we were getting guys who we wanted. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, my God, you know, we got to do better because we got to recruit these in-state guys and get – I mean – Hey, look, we we were all molded in the fact of well, we don't care who we get. We're gonna win with you. Or we're gonna win without you. I mean, that's literally if you don't want to come, don't come. You know, I mean that. I, I mean that's just kind of the way we we're instilled, like because Coach made it that way. Coach was, you, you know, yeah, this guy's a great player, but he always told us you don't have to be the best players to have the best team. So, right. uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, we, we beat Purdue uh, actually we're way ahead in that game and we, and we kind of played a little tentative down the stretch, but we, we win that game and, and we win. And, and, and so coach just kept sticking with it uh, and then he made a change and he called me over and, and, and smart kind of started busting his ass again in practice and got back in. Callaway never did um, and coach came to me and said, Hey, uh, I think I'm going to bring you off the bench. I know what I'm going to get from you. And I think it's just better that, that Linden starts and, and, you know, now I can put you in for whoever, where we're at, we're with Lyndon. I'm going to bring him in as a ball handler. And I said, ah, I don't care. As long as I know I'm going to play. Well, I don't care. Uh, but, really? You did not care? Well, you, you didn't care about starting? Well, when he told me I was going to play the same amount of time, it didn't, It 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 didn't really bother me, but then we go to we play Richmond and we don't, and I don't play that much in that game. It's like, (laughs) and we get beat, and it's like "Eh, I was pissed after that. I was mad after that, Mm. but I was in there at the end. So, you know, I mean, as long as you're, I was. My theory was, is you're playing at the end. um, I'd rather I'd rather be playing at the end than starting. I mean, right? So you want to close the game? Yeah, absolutely.
2: It is interesting that he he took you aside and, and told you his strategy. For well, I think that. he,
0: you know, I think he just wanted to let me know that I hadn't done anything wrong. And that's why we were, you know, I don't think he wanted, I wanted, I think he wanted me to think, Hey, look, Hey, come on, this is fine. This is going to be good for us. And you're doing everything we need you to do. I'm just going to do this off the bench. And it, and it didn't cost the game by any means. I mean, it wasn't that it just, uh, it just made me mad a little bit that we didn't just keep sticking with Jay Lyndon and I, because God, we gelled. And I mean, we love playing together, the three of us. I mean, and the fall, you know, my senior year, I mean, you see it. I mean, we, I mean, it yeah. just, it just worked. Um, How good was Jay? Well, Jay was probably the best basketball player I played with. Yeah. I mean, he, he, uh, now, he wasn't as good a shooter as Steve, not and, and they both could but he was a scorer. and Jay made plays off the dribble and he could he, he, he could he could do some stuff that Steve couldn't do um, where he could get his own shot. Um, right And he, and Jay made some huge shots, obviously, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and Jay, you know Jay loved to win. Jay was competitive. Didn't show it out there on the court. But there was numerous times where Jay would walk up to me and say, come on, Joe, you got to start shooting more, man. We need you. Um, wow. And, I mean, he – he, it, those guys just like to win. And, I, I you know, they, they came from a winning program. They were used to winning. Um, and and they did things to win. Um, and I just, you know, it, it was fun, the success that the three of us had and I think we knew it, and we and we still kind of have a little special bond. I I do anyways with those guys. I don't know what they think of me. They probably think I'm garbage because I used to yell and scream at them all the time. But <laughs> um, you know, I had to get into Jay a little bit. But Jay Jay was not a guy that you had. He it, Jay had his own way, and he was playing. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he uh, he was just a great player.
3: Yeah, well, it was clear. I mean, you saw, like you said, the clutch shots, the the fluidity that he played with, the spin moves. You know, I, I just have this memory of him just spinning on a dime and putting up a jump shot that were just gorgeous basketball plays that you can't really teach. You either have that kind of athletic ability
0: or you don't. And he clearly had it. Well, yeah, So because people always question me. I mean, Steve wasn't the best player? I said, hey, look, Steve was great. I'm just, you know, I mean, Jay Edwards, if he stays four years, he probably breaks Steve's record and then maybe Calvert. I mean, Jay was, I mean, Jay was, uh, he was was just a special talent. I mean, he, I mean, and Jay defended, I mean, he, and he rebounded. I mean, he, Jay, Jay was, like I said, we just had, we, and, and the thing I think more than anything else is we had success with it and we were winning with it. Because I'll tell you, that senior year, when we start the season off, I don't get mm-hmm. back until November 1st from instructional week. Yeah, so, we got to
3: talk about that.
0: Yeah. Um, so I go out and I sign. The A's draft me. And uh, I remember the A's calling me. And, and we had played against Michigan. And they were there scouting Jim Abbott. The pitcher from oh, wow. with uh, no with one hand. Yeah. yeah. With one hand. So, yeah. you know, Jim Abbott was a ninth guy picked in the draft. And so he's yeah. pitching against us. And the guys from the A's are there. There's everybody there watching. And I get three hits off of Abbott. Wow. And or I get two hits in a line drive or something. And, and so this guy calls me and says, Hey, you got any interest in playing baseball? I said, Hell yeah. He goes, All right, we're gonna draft you. <laughs> I said, Okay. He said, You you you'll you'll sign and you'll come, right? I said, yeah, but you're going to have to give me some money. And, you know, he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, but we're not going to waste a pick on you um, if you're going to say no right away. So I get drafted, and I go tell Coach. um, I go tell Coach Morgan first. Were you scared?
3: Were you scared of going to tell him that you want to go play baseball? I was.
0: I was a little nervous because I, you know, uh, so I go and tell Coach Morgan, hey. No, you know what? I went and told Coach Knight first because I wanted Coach Knight to hear from me. And I said, Coach, I've been driving. He goes, oh, yeah, I saw that, Joe. I said, I want to go play this summer. I said, Coach, I get to play 30, 30. I I play five or six weeks, seven weeks of baseball. I just get in the groove, and then I got to stop. I said, and I I was really nervous that we were going to have to stick around all summer because we lost to Richmond, and he was pissed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want to be around all summer. Uh, (laughs) So – uh, he said joe god that's great i think this is a great opportunity for you go do that we'll see it uh we'll see it next fall or we'll see you when school starts or whatever so then i go tell coach morgan and he was a little upset about it i said coach i said look i get to play dah, 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 dah. i need to go play another and i i need to see where i'm at with this and then he was okay with it and he was fine he was happy for me um and so then I go off, and I have a great first year in short season A, and the A's asked me back to instructional league.
3: By the way, you hit three ten, you hit three ten.
0: Yeah, but I mean, you know, <laughs>
3: yeah. what do you mean? Yeah, but you hit four. It was like I hit four hundred with
0: thirty dingers.
3: Well, okay, but that's like but the no, best it was good. Yeah. ever. I mean, three ten you know is, is special.
0: Was, um, you, you know, I think I surprised. I know I surprised Lenny Sakata, who is the manager on our team, because I remember Lenny saying, man, I thought I was just getting this big doofus basketball player. But you know, I was a leader on that team. And guys were always asking me about Coach Knight and basketball. And, uh, you know, they knew I played on a national championship team. And there was a lot of I mean, unfortunately, I was getting a lot of write ups um, but why know, is that well just because i played basketball and i'm this figure and i'm playing on the a's and you know people want to ask about it uh, oh right 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 and so right, right. But lenny Cicada right. was great he uh you know i was an outfielder and uh played the first game in, in the outfield and the guy that was playing first base tears his hamstring the first game so lenny says to me comes up and says hey can you play first base you got you're a good athlete can you? i said for anybody can play first base I mean, what do you do <laughs> <laughs> well i had no idea how much stuff went on you know i mean i i was done playing the infield in babe ruth when i got to high school i started my sophomore year at third base and then i got out real late my second year and the coach i'll never forget this the coach in high school i got out we lost on a on a friday or whatever in the tournament the basketball. And we had a game on Monday in baseball, so I go and he says, "Joe, you know what? Just go out and play right field. I want you to get some at bats." And I got three hits. I went three for three in that game. And he came up to me and, and Coach Bob Cooper, was his name. He said, "You know what, Joe? I'm going to put you in the outfield. I'm going to leave you out there. You can just think about hitting. This will be great for us." And I said, "Okay. Well, God, then you go to practice and you're not have to take a hundred grounders. You're not have to doing all the bunt plays. You're not have to it. This is the best. I just stand out here and I hit." I love this. <laughs> so that's when I started playing outfield. So then Lenny comes to me and says, ah, can you play first base? I said, yeah, I ain't making play first base. Well, what I didn't realize was now I'm back in all the bunt plays. Now I'm in all the pickups. What yeah. the hardest thing for me was getting major league pop ups and the spin on the ball with the wood bats and stuff. I'm used to an arc coming out to me and down where pop-ups were going, and I was overrunning all of them because the spin goes up, and then it goes away coming down, and I was overrunning these pop-ups all the time. And, you know, I was way over aggressive on bunt plays where first and second, I'd come firing in, trying to get the guy <laughs> third. They'd pull it back and hit it, and, you know, and, and Lenny just kind of let me go my way, and he's and, – and, you know, then they, they asked me in to instructional league, and I've got to go and call Coach Knight. And, uh, gosh, I remember Edwards had gotten in some trouble, losing his scholarship, basically kicked off the team. And I'm going, okay. And my mom says to me, Joe, why do you want to go back? You are going to be the whipping boy. You, you, you Why do you want – you guys are going to be no good. And I said, Mom, you never know. And And my dad said, no, 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 you got to go back. And I still came in the thought of my mind that I was a good enough player to maybe play in the NBA. I mean, that's just what I thought. So let's mm-hmm. go back and keep playing. And you never know. And whatever, I didn't want to quit on the team, so to speak. So uh, I called coach. I said, coach, it's Joe, man, God, nice season. I kind of following you're doing. God. I said, well, they've asked me to instructionally, really. I said, yeah. He goes, uh, I said, well, you got to go to that. That's great. When, when, when will you be done? I said, probably not till November 1st. He goes, well, you want to come back. Right. And I said, yeah. He goes, all right, let me get buzz on the phone. Who was the academic advisor. Let's figure out how to keep you eligible. And I'll see you November 1st. They hung up the wow. phone and gave it to buzz. And you know, I'd take some course. and I had already graduated because I had graduated in the four years. So I had to take some mm-hmm. correspondence classes for, uh, a second major, so to speak, or whatever. Yeah. Um, Let's be honest, Joe. It was garbage. You're not really taking No, classes. it was garbage. It was great. I'll, and I'll tell you a story about this. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so I get 12 credits done. Fine. Get A's in every class and come back November 1st. And now we're we're playing the preseason IT though. This year we're playing in 10 days. And I was yeah. like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. And it didn't start off very good. Nope. So coach decides that we're too small the year prior, and now we're gonna to go to a basic lineup with Edwards and I and three forwards, centered, two forwards, and we win our first two games. Fine, we go to New York, and Syracuse just crushes us. Crushes us. And uh it wasn't fun. We we're in New York, Times Square day before thanksgiving we we were going nowhere it's not good so we go down to the locker we go we go back he calls us down and he's mad and he's not happy a couple guys were wearing jeans and i said what are you guys doing because in the law lo- in the hotel it was either your dress slacks or your candy cane stripe sweats Couple guys are in jeans. I go, what are you guys doing? Come on, go change. No, no, coach is cool. He doesn't care. He's fine with this stuff now. I said, Oh, really? Okay, this will be good.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: now I could see this if we won. But we just lost by 30, giving up a hundred yeah. points. We walk in, and the first thing he says, God damn it, Hillman, what are those two guys wearing jeans for? I said, you know <laughs> what, coach? And, now, you know, I basically have had it because I've got – I'm playing baseball. I'm, you know, whatever. I said, Coach, I just told these two guys that you cannot wear jeans, and you know what they told me? They told me you were cool with it. And he <laughs> explodes, goes nuts. I'm cool with it. It kicks us all out. Comes back down, comes back down, or calls us back down an hour later, whatever, and he's got seven names written up on the board from the championship team. I and me and the five starters. He has my name circled, and he has I don't know Syracuse's team lineup. And everybody goes, anybody in here uh, won a national championship besides Hillman? You know there was other guys on the team help us win a national championship because I don't know if anybody else had played. He said he's the only guy in here that's helped us win a national championship. I don't care about high school championships. I don't care about that and until you start listening to him. We're not going to win. Now get out of here. And that changed the whole deal. Except that the next mm-hmm. night against North Carolina, we go out and lose by 30. <laughs> so it didn't Would've really been a help. a better story if you won that so, game. So now we come back, and we go and play Miami, Ohio, still playing Edwards and I, starting in the guards in the big lineup, and we beat Miami, Ohio at Miami, Ohio. Now we're going to go play Louisville at the Hoosier Dome, Big Four Classic. And they're going to press. They got Never Nervous Purvis, Bradford Smith, Kenny Payne. They got a good team. And we're the whole deal in the practice was, okay, Joe, you're to take the ball out. I want you to throw the ball to the to the, uh, to the the long corner. So the opposite corner of the basket. You're on the left side of the basket. You throw it to the right corner, which made the trap guy have to go a lot farther to trap. He said, and I want – so-and-so, you either throw the ball back to Hillman or you get it to Edwards going through the middle, and we're going to go score on this press. So we start the game off. That sounds great. Start the game off. They throw an alley-oop, dunk. We're down 2 nothing. I throw it into the corner. The guy travels. They score. We're down 4 nothing. Throw it in the corner. He throws it away. We're down 6 nothing. Oh, we no. finally get it down. I think somebody misses a shot. They go down 8 nothing, and we foul. And here's Meeks. Or – No, it was Lyndon And I'm thinking, oh, thank God We're getting so-and-so out of here And, Joe, I got you I go, you got me? (laughs) And I go over there And I sit right next to Coach Because it was the first guy And he goes, Joe, get your ass at the end of the bench Before I kick it down there (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, what the hell did I do? So I go to the end of the bench I I don't play another second we lose by 25 or whatever, and the whole way home, he unloads on me. I wish you would never have come back. I wish you would have stayed and played baseball. You're the biggest waste of a five-year senior we've ever had here. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, this goes on for 40 minutes. And so as soon as we get home to, to Bloomington, I get to my apartment. I call my dad. I said, get me a plane ticket. I'm out of here. I'm going back. I'm going to start lifting. I'm getting ready for baseball. He said, what? He said, how the hell could that have been your fault? I said, I don't know, but he just unloaded on me for 45 minutes. I'm done with it, and he doesn't want me around. It'll just be better. He goes, no, 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 no. Go to practice. Go to practice the next day, which was Sunday morning. And I go to practice Sunday morning, and Tate's lock comes in and says, Joe, I need to see you. And we go back in the back hallway, not in the locker room, back in the hallway, and he says, hey, coach has watched the film. He really feels bad about getting on your ass. He, You did everything we had. You know, so-and-so messed up, and he really feels bad. I said, well, Tate, why doesn't he come and tell me that? He goes, you know, coach, he's not going to say that, but he does want to know, do you want to go back to the three guards? I said, hell yes. We don't, we're don't. we good that way. Those are the better players. So – he goes, okay. He goes, that's what he wants to do. So we go out, and now we're gonna go warm up. We're gonna play Notre Dame on Tuesday. Now Knight has just gone off his rocker on all three of these losses. And we <laughs> we we go and we're warming up and he calls me over and says, Joe, come here. And he's got these, you know, he has his little index cards and he's got these guys listed. He said, Edwards or Smith, who's the better player? I said Edwards. He said Anderson or Sloan. I said, Anderson. He said, Jadlow or White? I said, Jadlow. He said, Meeks or Jones? I said, Meeks. God damn it, don't tell me who you fucking think I want to hear. Tell me who the better player is. I said, Jones. And I knew he really liked Meeks, so that's why I said it. And yeah. I said, Jones. He goes, yeah, Jones. And you, those four and you are starting at, at, at Notre Dame. That's what we're doing. Let's go. And I'm like, oh, boy. And I remember, I remember my freshman year, Dockage had to name the starting lineup. And I remember Dockage putting himself in the starting lineup. And I'll never forget him saying, well, hell, yes, I was putting my name in. If I was going to name the starting lineup and go down, I'm going down with me in there. And <laughs> Coach didn't even give me that choice. He just said, those four and you are starting it, and that's what we're going with. And so we go up to Notre Dame, and we play pretty good, but we get beat. And I remember running in and saying, all right, guys, this is going to be ugly. Let's bear down. Everybody hang in there. This could be bad. Because thinking, now he's really – he comes in and says, no kidding, walks right in and says, all right, we got Hillman, Jones, and Anderson playing. We got three guys. Now we just got to find two more, and we'll be fine, and walks out. Mm. and I'm telling you if he unloads on that team we're done for the year done wow. and somehow he knew and he knew Edwards was going to be fine so you know that was one of the other two um and then you know we then that's when we got going and we won I think 13 or 14 of the next you you won 15 13 games in a, in a row we may yeah and then we may have even won like I don't know 19 out of 20 or something it was crazy yeah you you go on a crazy run. Yep. You win 13 in a
3: row, including dog walking Kentucky at Rupp Arena. Now I know Kentucky they very wasn't good that
0: year. I know, but I don't
3: care. We dog walked them at Rupp, which is good. Yeah,
0: no, it was you, a huge you, one at Rupp. That was huge because that was right before Christmas. That was great. And and so you and just for the
2: record, you won 20 out of the next 21
0: games. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, it really and 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 it was and it was me, Edwards Jones. In the starting lineup, some some other things and, and usually Anderson and Jadlow. And then it just got going and and and, and it was great. I mean, we, we and then we had guys off the bench that kind of filled the role of Island Hillman in the two years prior where you didn't have to score, but you did little things and we got going and, and and I'm telling you that year in the Big Ten was unbelievable. The the teams that were in there. Now the bottom half probably wasn't as strong, but Man, the top five or six teams were unbelievable.
3: Well, let's uh, let's go through it real quick. Illinois was ranked number one in the country at yeah, several Nick points. Yeah, Nick Anderson, year.
0: Kendall Gill, Lowell yes. Hamilton, Steve Bardo, uh, I'm not, and Kenny we're not Battle. not going to talk about that. Uh, I don't like talking about Nick Anderson. You know, I don't like um, about God, who was the other? <laughs> Marcus Liberty. I mean, they had a ton of guys. Kendall, uh, Kendall yeah. Gill. Yeah, Kendall Gill. Yeah, they man. had he a ton of first-round picks. Michigan, Glenn Rice, Ramil Robinson, yes. Loy Vaught, Mills. I mean, they had it. Iowa, Marble, Horton, Armstrong. Yeah. I mean, you go and Michigan State had Steve Smith. Uh, Ohio State's ranked 14th. Yeah, in they were they were pretty State good. States. I mean, Iowa's yeah. ranked I mean, 12th. So yeah, it's, it was. Huge. By the way, by
3: the way, you had to guard crazy people in the Big Ten, including Glenn Rice, one of the greatest college players ever in the Big Ten Conference. Glenn Rice scored twenty five points a game that year in conference. He played two games against Indiana where Joe Hillman guarded him for vast majorities of those games. You held him to a total of twenty six points and he shot thirty eight percent. What do you remember about guarding Glenn Rice?
0: I got a lot of help
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, no, actually the hardest the, the hardest matchup for me actually Glenn Rice was one of the one of the now, he was a great player and and he didn't shoot the ball very well in a couple of games, but he was easier to guard because he didn't really go in the post very much. And he didn't, he didn't, he was a catch and shoot guy and one of the best right. at it were guys like Nick Anderson. It was tough for me because Nick Anderson would take me in the post. He was bigger, he was stronger, he's quicker. Um, and then, you know, then I had to guard guys like Francis at Ohio State that outweighed me by probably 40, 50 pounds. And. Uh the guy up at gosh, I forget his name. There was a big guy up in uh up in Wisconsin that was a 6'6, 250 guy. Uh so you know that that was uh Michigan didn't put Rice in the post. So that um uh it it really kind of played right into our hands with playing three guards. Now we did a lot of switching, uh, which you know Edwards and I, anytime there was a cross it was an automatic switch. Uh, which made it easy. And then there were some games where it was Lyndon, Jay, and I, any cross was an automatic switch, depending on who they had in the lineups and stuff. So that that just worked for us. and and the the thing about that team is we had to play well to win. Um, and you know, and Jay made some great shots, but we didn't have a big margin of error. I mean, we had to play really well to win. If we didn't, we were gonna lose. But we didn't lose any close games. I mean, the only close game we lose is when Nick Anderson throws in the half quarter, and mm-hmm. um, you know we were. The unfortunate thing is we were ahead. We lose to Illinois both times, and we were ahead by ten in both the games, oh. which is which was bad. But uh, I mean, really, we could have been we could have been seventeen and zero, but we could have easily been eleven and eleven and six going in the last game when nobody played. I mean we, we didn't even play any of the starters in the right in the Iowa game. Um but yeah, I mean it was uh it and, and it was amazing. Coach knew that team was a little fragile. We, he knew we didn't have a big margin of error. He didn't really get on us even when we won a close game. He didn't uh he just said, let's move to the next one. Let's go. Let's keep going. Our practices were short. I mean we got going and, and got in the Big Ten. And we probably never practiced unless we had a week off. We never practiced more than forty-five minutes. Whoa! I mean, it was just it was just quick stuff. We walked through a lot of stuff, but but literally, I mean, it, yeah, it was good.
3: This is we've heard this from a few people that played for Coach Knight. This really is part of the genius that doesn't get talked about. He, of course, he could go crazy and go nuts and get on people, but he also did have a pretty good sense. Of what teams needed that and what teams needed what you just described.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he just that. seemed
3: to know what button to push yep.
0: for each. I mean, like, for example, how does he know to walk into that Notre Dame game locker room and, and not go crazy? Right. I mean, right. he just knew that team was fragile and he knew we weren't, you know, we weren't good enough. But then, man, we were just tough. We, I mean, we were just, you know, and we had guys like Sloan come in and really help. Meeks got better as the year went on, and he really helped. Um, what about
2: Anderson? What, well, what Anderson did, was know, a good player. Like, I mean, yeah, Eric coming was a great in as a player. freshman.
0: To, to yeah, do he that. got, what? you know, Eric got better and better and kind of got a little tougher as the year went on. But he, you know, I mean, he, he was just, he was good. I mean, Eric was good and, you know, had a great career. Um, but you know, I mean, he he just Eric was kind of a another guy that just fed in and and um you know, everything kind of moved around Jay and but everybody else would score 12 or 14 points and and we were pretty good. I mean, you know, now when Jablo played well, we did not lose. I mean, he he was kind of a, the guy that when when he played well, we we beat teams pretty easily. Um because he had a lot of good games, um, but you know, in the in the the game against Illinois at home, I just remember we were up ten or twelve with like eight or ten minutes to go and just kind of fell apart. And you know, I hear this crap about Illinois. I said, "Oh, we ratcheted up the heat and they didn't handle it." Well, oh, look, we missed shots and we didn't. It wasn't the heat. Uh, give me a break. <laughs> so.
3: uh, a couple momentous things happened that year. Uh, one of which is you beat Purdue that year, which makes Coach Knight the winningest coach in the history of the Big Ten. Do you remember trying to give Coach something after that oh, game? Oh, yeah.
0: So Garl comes up to me and says, hey, Coach just has the most wins in the Big Ten coaches or whatever. And so uh, I give him the game ball after the game. He Coach, da, 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 He goes, Hillman, keep and go work on your free throws because I missed some free throws in that game. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I love it. Uh, the other momentous thing that happens is this is your senior year. You're a five-year senior. You, you came back to Indiana when you didn't have to. And you win the freaking Big Ten again with a team that, like you said, started off rough. You start off three and four. And again, this is why it's one of my favorite teams, because you love it as a fan when you see the team get better. And this team clearly got better. And you kept getting better. What was – how do you compare winning that Big Ten championship as a senior when, by the way, you're also averaging over 12 points a game. You're averaging like four assists a game, three and a half rebounds. You you are – I mean, you're a star on this team. How do you compare winning the Big Ten this year to the one you won two years earlier when you were a role player?
0: Well, I, you know, for me personally, it was more rewarding because I had a bigger – I had a bigger say in it. Um, but – when we won it in 1987 it was relief because there was so much talk about this all oh, this senior class never winning never doing anything and you know having having more say in the in the outcome um but that you know in 87 we knew we were good we were expected to win and right. win the big 10. 1989 you know, we're not nobody's talking about us um And we got on this roll, and it just it it was fun. I mean, it was we. I think both teams go fifteen and three. If I'm not wrong, right? Uh, The last game at Iowa, we didn't have to win, but that fifteen and three was a much shorter season in '89 than the fifteen and three Hmm. when we won it all. Just because coach was pushing that championship team, he pushed us and pushed us. He knew we could take it. I think he knew that. We weren't as, you know, we had more guys that could handle some of the stuff. But he knew we were going to be good, and he knew he could push that team. Where in 89, he had to kind of coddle that team, form that team. And he, you know, it was just – it was a great coaching job by night in, in 89. I mean, it just – it just made me understand he had a method to his madness. There's just no doubt about it. I mean, he knew – he knew what he was doing with some of these things. When he would have an outburst, it was to get guys' attention, and 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 you know maybe he might say, you know what, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna rip this guy to shreds today in practice because I want to see if he can handle it, and I want to see what we got when it's nutcracking time. Um, and he found <laughs> out who can handle the heat. Um, you know, so it, it was it was completely different, and it was a little bit of a different feeling. Um, and I and I just think because the expectations were it was it was i guess it was more it was more fun to win in 89 where it was more relief in 87
2: you're a southern california kid you decide you want to come back to indiana to win a national championship you do and here's your last game in assembly hall you guys take down wisconsin you've won the big 10 championship What do you remember from your last game in Assembly Hall and speaking to the crowd, and how how much it
0: felt like to be a Hoosier at that moment? Well, I remember starting the game off thinking, okay. I mean, I was really excited and amped up because I knew we had a chance to win the Big Ten, and that'd been a huge thing. I mean, and and. and, Man, I started off, and I was—I remember Coach pulling me out the first five or six minutes, or whatever. Maybe the first three or four minutes, said Joe, "Settle down. You got to settle down here." (laughs) And uh, I mean, we didn't have—we didn't play great, and we didn't have a great shooting night. But man, we worked our offense, and we got to the line. I think we shot fifty free throws that night. Um, We—I bet we shot forty, because I think I shot. Thirteen or fourteen, I think Jablo shot a bunch. I mean, we got to the line and we won, and uh, you know, just winning it at home was great. And you know, I I, I remember all the guys talking about. Oh, senior night, it's hard to speak. I mean, you know, it was so easy after that game because we just won the Big Ten championship. I mean, it was like a it was like a celebration. It was simple. It was nothing. I mean, it was it was fun. Um, and you know, I mean, I just remember. Thinking, I'll I remember what my mom said. What, And I remember saying to her, you never know, Mom. And that's, hmm. I mean, I remember, I think I even said it in my speech. You never know. Look, we're the Big Ten champions. And it really, you know, that year more than anything, I felt great after the championship when Coach Knight said all that stuff about me and I heard it. But I think I became somebody that the crowd appreciated more in the 89 team when that was all done and said. And and I just, mm. you know, it just, it solidified my feeling that I was part of Indiana basketball.
3: By the way, your senior game, you went off for 17 points. You were 13 of 14 from the free throw line. You had six rebounds in that game and you were right on the money, basically. The team went thirty of thirty-nine shot basically four yeah. throws. But we
0: had a lot of that in that in that year because we were hard to guard when, when we were playing the three guard offense, we really kind of mirrored what we used to do for Steve, but we did it on both sides because Edwards would go first and I would go second off a of flare. Then we got a down screen and a down screen. And I mean, it just worked. I mean, it was it was I mean and, and, and we just – we knew – for I, I get Jay and Lyndon knowing wherever he's at, but the three of us just kind of knew where we're at. And then Meeks, when he got in there, he just kind of yeah. picked up and um, he knew where Jay and I were going to be. Uh, we, and he did a great and, – and that – it when you look back at those things and you go, wow, that, that was a team that, that understood who needed to do what. And, and the 87 team was the same way um but that's when when i talk about locker room stuff it wasn't that nobody liked each other it's just everybody knew their role and mm-hmm. you get into that 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 or my junior year where everybody kind of thought they were going to be the guy type of deal and we just never got there and, and that's what uh the you know jay was going to make plays but you know we knew that eric and i were going to score and then jabbo was solid and linden always played solid and i mean we just and when you look back at it we had a pretty good damn we had a pretty good team yeah. oh
3: you, like i said one of the most overlooked and here's a couple quotes from coach i you may have heard these before but this is what he was quoted as saying about you none of the things he's speaking of you done statistically approach the kind of leadership he's given and then he's asked about the mvp of the big 10 and he says the most valuable player is not the best player it is the player who has done the most to get his team where it is. It is an absolute clear-cut situation that Hillman is the MVP, period. I mean, wait, wait. this is... Wait,
2: wait. I've got one more to add. Oh, go for it. My quote I found is, Joe Hillman is the MVP of this conference, and for all who don't agree with me, you can kiss my butt. <laughs> oh i didn't know that one. I didn't that one
0: that was kind of a dig dig dick vitale but,
3: hey. but
0: but look hearing that from your coach
3: and it's coach knight who does not heap praise lightly that I, I mean i know it's kind of back to the 87 game when you heard that this is you clearly struck a chord with the way you carried yourself and the way you went about your business with this legendary coach and I know when you're a 22-year-old kid, that kind of stuff may be fleeting, but you're a grown man now. Coach Knight is obviously, you know, in the pantheon of the greatest coaches that have ever coached any sport. When you look back and you think about that, what you did at Indiana, and what your coach thinks about you, what how do you
0: how do you reconcile all that, Joe? What does it mean to you? Now? Well, it was huge. I mean, it was. Uh... I mean, it just made you feel again, like you're a real big part of Indiana basketball history, but let's not kid ourselves. I mean, Jay Edwards was the best player on our team and it wasn't even close. Um, (laughs) You know, so I, I've never talked to Jay about this and I, and I hope that that didn't bug him because I probably should have said, what I just told you on my senior night, I probably should have said, Hey, let's not kid ourselves. Uh, we don't win it. We don't win this without Jay. And it's not even close, but, uh, I mean, Jay and I are, are good friends and we see each other when we see each other, we just laugh about the times. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was nice. It was great. I mean, it was very flattering, no doubt about it. Uh, and you know what, at the time I, you know, I thought I was a big part of why we won and, and I don't know. Um, but
3: you were, and by the way, you go to the tournament. You earn a number two seed in the tournament after again a team that starts three and four. You beat George Mason, you beat UTEP, and then you run into honestly Seton Hall was just a buzzsaw. Yeah, we we, we, played, incredible we we played
0: we played terrible that game. We were awful. Jay and I both didn't shoot very well, and, and that hurt us. And I mean that that was but the you, problem with that team. We we had such a fine line. Right. um where we our margin of error like I said earlier we just didn't we couldn't get away with Jay and I both playing bad it, it just right. no. it
3: almost seemed like it almost seemed like you both had to play well well it's not even there like was some games where I didn't play
0: real well and Jay played well then there was a couple of games where Jay got in foul trouble and I mean I remember we yeah. went up to Minnesota and Minnesota didn't lose at home all year and Jay got into foul trouble and I specifically remember grabbing Eric Anderson and saying all right you and I got to score. Let's go. Let's work together on this uh, flare downstream it's it's going to be you and me here. And um, Eric picked it up and, and but yeah, there, we just, we just couldn't have both of us because right. with Jay and I scoring and making shots it opened up stuff for Eric and, and uh, Jadlow inside and uh, I mean, we just neither one of us played very well. And that, that killed us. I mean, we just, we you know, and, and Seton Hall was kind of an unknown quantity. I don't even think. I mean, I think they finished third or fourth in the Big Big East, but they were good and they were big and they were strong. Uh, and they they matched up very very made, they made well. The championship game. Yeah, they probably should have won. I'm, um, yeah, I mean, they 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 were they had they had pros on the team. Well, yeah, and they get kind of a horseshit call at the end of the game where – and then Ramil Marvinson makes both free throws. But totally uh, I'm not sure that was a great call. Uh, it wasn't. But, yeah, I mean, they were good. They were big. They were strong. They were bigger and faster than us. And their guards – and then they had Andrew Gaze, who was 23, 24 years old, and he matched yeah. up well against me. I and mean, so our advantage of the three guards, because they really played three guards – with a guy that was bigger than me, Um, you know, so yeah, so it was not a great matchup for us, but unfortunately, you know, they, they, they looked at us and they took in the factor of Kendall Gill being hurt, but us winning the big 10, the best conference in the league and we win it going away and we don't get a number one seed. That was, that was pretty bad. And Knight yeah. talked about that. He said, now, nah, I don't want anybody bitching the moon about this. It doesn't really matter if you're a one or two seed. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't. It didn't matter. Uh, you know, I mean, Seton Hall beat us. And, and if we played ten times, we'd probably win four or five. And, you know, I mean, that's just the way it right. was.
3: And, and, Joe, you won the Big Ten and you went to the Sweet Sixteen we would kill for that kind of season right now
0: in Indiana. yeah i mean like disappointing ending it really was it was because well, they all are yeah but i really thought because we played in the big 10 i mean i really thought we were going to the final four um Mm -hmm. and and what's frustrating is we we watch michigan win it and we beat michigan both times yeah so no, it was... So uh, you,
3: had, you had the team to do it, but we talk about this all the time. Oh, we... No, the NCAA no, no, no. tournament hold on, hold on, is luck.
0: We, we, did not, we did not have a champ, an NCAA championship roster. No chance. I mean, right. we, Edwards, you know, Anderson ends up playing the NBA, and, but he was a freshman. Uh, if we would have gotten in the Final Four, it would have been unbelievable.
3: Well, that's why... But also, let's just keep in mind... The NCAA tournament, so much of it is locked. Oh, you got to have mean, some so there's much you, of it is. There's Matt no Jackson, doubt about it. I mean, you won the Big Ten over 18 games. You won the best conference in the in the country. Your second Big Ten title, a, a just incredible five years at Indiana and the roller coaster that you went on from your freshman year, which was Coach Knight's worst year, to then getting redshirt, to then losing in the first round. To then winning the national championship, I mean, to then getting draft. I mean, they're
0: also also
2: a national bestseller came out airing all of your dirty laundry too. You guys had to deal with that.
0: That was so that 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 actually wasn't that big of a deal because, I mean, he gave Feinstein free reign. Feinstein was one of us. He came to every practice. He was in every locker room. I mean, he was just one of us.
3: Steve, uh, when we talked to Alfred, he told us that when that book came out, like some guys got the book and like you guys would read passages and laugh about it.
0: Oh yeah. Because the language, you know, the, the worst part about that book was when Knight talks, he curses and swears when he's happy, when he's mad, when he's excited. I mean, so in the book you read something and there was times where he would call, you know, people names and stuff and it would be all fun and games. And he knew it was, and, but in the book, it sounds like, Oh my God, he's yelling and screaming at this guy but everybody kind of grabbed the book to see what was in it about them. <laughs> right. <laughs> so really it, it what and it wasn't anything shocking to us. You know, right. I mean we it wasn't any big deal. It's it's the, back the to problem the chair. about it. Here here was the problem with the book is everywhere we went you got asked about it. Right. You know, oh, did this really happen? Did this really you know. I mean it, it that's all anybody wanted to talk about.
3: Right. All right, so one thing we'd love to do for anybody that spent time in Bloomington is we got to ask a few of our favorite Bloomington questions. All right. So what was your favorite restaurant in Bloomington?
0: Oh, boy. Um, well, we really didn't go to Little as much, but that, you know, that would probably be a staple of it right now. But we would, uh, yeah. we would go out to the old Jeremiah Sweeney's. That was kind of the big restaurant we would take all the recruits to got it and then you know what i'll tell you a place that wasn't really a restaurant we used to love to go to mccree's or yeah mccree's deli
3: yeah yes we loved you know they closed it
0: well the reason why we loved it is because you could go in there and they had big high booths, and we could go and get in the back and nobody saw us and so Mm. we could go back in there (laughs) and have a beer or two without anybody getting
3: nice (laughs) good potato
0: chips though yeah no yeah we used to we used to go there loved McCree's.
2: I took a, a plastic McCree's cup that made it out to California with me for many years when it finally uh, disappeared. I was like, ah, I'll go get another one. No more no more." Yeah. Well, there's,
0: there's, there's way more choices down there now. That's for sure. Yeah. No kidding.
2: Okay. So, so with libations, favorite place to get a beer then, and now when you get back.
0: Well, I never went to any bars when I was at school. So
2: really not even as a senior or second.
0: Wink wink. <laughs> no, we never went. I literally we never went during the season. At were least I did because of getting caught. No, just he, he knew somebody went. Yeah. They told him. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. We used to go. Um I never really went to Knicks. Um just because the you know, the coaches were there a lot. I mean, if we went somewhere like during baseball season, I don't even know what the heck the place was called. Um hooligans or something like that. And then, I don't know, we'd go to the Bluebird with they had some decent music. Yeah, but I was know. not a huge bar guy. I, you know, I mean, we, we'd go out and hang out. and uh, But we we went to guys' apartments and stuff just to hang out together and stuff like that. But I lived out by uh, – I lived way out on the east side of town. Most guys lived way out on the west side of town. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we, we did more stuff together, uh, sure. Then go to bars. Um,
3: what about what about pizza? Favorite pizza? Oh, I probably was Mother Bears. Yes, that is the correct answer. That is the correct answer.
0: No, we didn't get it on uh, time, but that was that was that that's was a treat. That was the better one for sure.
2: Uh, and uh, a smart guy like yourself, you know, you you passed on Stanford. But what was your least favorite class in Bloomington that you had to
0: take? Oh, criminology! I hate it. It's the most boring class in the world. And I actually, <laughs> I actually thought, I actually thought that was going to be a fun class. And I don't know, we had three or four guys in there that were taking the class. And I remember there the first the midterm was a hundred, hundred test question or hundred question test, and I went to class every day. Every time they had class, I went. And I didn't read any of the book material because the guy never talked about it. We go to take the test and 50 of the questions from his class, 50 of the questions from the book. Well, I get like a C on it and the midterm thing comes in and Knight calls me and says, Hillman, what in the hell is going on here? You're the smartest guy on this team. You have the worst grade in the class here. And we got three other guys in this class. What's going on here? I said, I don't know. I didn't read the book. No, you know, I'll be all right. (laughs) I mean, and so, you know, going back to the class thing. So when I am a senior or my last year there, I take all these classes okay, to stay eligible, get all A's in it. And in February, well, now we're going to do the second semester. Well, I kind of figure out after the first week that, the last day to withdraw is March 9th. And so I can't withdraw from these classes. I'm not going to yes. take incompletes because I'm not going to do it. So I just never went to class. <laughs> okay. So night, night, we, we always had, when you walked into the class, you had to give a guy a white card and a blue card or something that was like an eight-week update and a 12-week update just so they could keep track of it something like that i don't know what the, the time he was so coach gets all my cards back and we're at practice one day and it's practice is done he's helmet get over here he said can you explain why you're not going to class i said coach i've already graduated i said these classes are for second major the withdrawal date is march 9th we're still going to be playing I said, I'm not going to take incompletes because I'm never going to come back and finish these. So what's the point?
1: <laughs> oh, man!
0: And he goes, I knew you'd have a fucking answer for this. I knew you'd have it than, uh. he, said, he said, does anybody else know about this? I said, no, nobody knows about it. I don't say anything to anybody about it. And uh, he says, all right, good. Let's keep it that way. <laughs> so i start walking away and he says hey by the way and i'm like five steps away from him. he goes i go he goes by the way what the hell do you do all day
1: i said coach i'm
0: i go coach i'm watching film
1: <laughs>
0: he just shook his head and started laughing and i walked away but I would, sure. I would, I would literally get up and I would hit, I would go hit, I would go hit, and um, I, I had a tee in the back in my in my apartment, and I had a big tarp, so I'd hit off the tee, and then Coach Morgan would throw me some batting practice once in a while, um, and so I just kind of was trying to stay sharp doing that. But yeah, I did. I watched a lot of film, um, just watching games wow. and stuff. But so what becomes worse is about the end of february coach calls me over into the locker coach's locker room and ralph floyd is in there and they've got this sheet of paper and i'm like oh boy what's this this is this (laughs) something and i did something that i didn't respond to an autograph or something and coach starts reading this he goes hillman i cannot believe what i'm freaking reading right here i said yeah he goes Ralph, can you believe this? He goes, Joe, i got this thing right here that says you're an act- first-team academic All-American.
1: <laughs>
0: he goes, can you explain to me how a guy that never goes to class, who did nothing first semester, is a first-team academic All-American? And Docas chimes in and says, well, ah, Coach, it has to be an accumulation thing. And yeah. I said, yeah, that's why. And he goes, get out of here. <laughs> so it was, That's why It was pretty funny. So I was like, a, that is so G, good. I was a GTE academic all American, and I mean, it, it, I think they have my grade point average of like a three point eight. My last year it was like, and I did nothing.
3: <laughs> oh, that is that is sensational. What in the years after you graduated? What did you have a relationship with coach Knight? in oh, your sure. Playing years. Yeah. Oh yeah. Did it change? Did it fundamentally change your relationship? Did it become a, a more friendly thing than, than, than it was? Um,
0: yeah, it was different because it was easy just to walk away. If you started screaming at you, um, <laughs> but no, yeah, it changed. I mean, it was different, but you know, he would ask you to come down and talk to certain guys and, um, you know, hey, I need you to come down and talk to so-and-so. I need you to come down and do this, this, and that. And, um, and so, um, yeah, it, 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 it changed. I mean, and he always said that, hey, look, you know, I'm not going to be your friend while you're here playing, but I'll be the best damn friend you ever had when you graduate and you're done. So right. yeah, I mean, it definitely became different, but you know, he'd still always want to get you and the, the needle you whenever he could. And, but you know, I mean, that him needling you and getting on you is his way of saying he likes you. I mean, right? No, no doubt yeah, there's no well, doubt about it. Brian that.
3: Evans, Brian Evans would told us that when he was yelling at him and screaming, Evans, you MF and blah blah blah. Evans would just say to himself, my God, Bobby
0: Knight knows my name. Yeah, well, no, there's no like, doubt about that. That was the thing we used to tell guys all the time when you first got there was, as long as he's yelling at you, you're fine. It's when he stops yelling at you, you better start worrying. And we saw that. When, we saw that. Yeah. There was guys mm. that he just stopped saying stuff to, and they would transfer, and they'd be done, and they never played.
3: Wow. When when Indiana yeah. – uh, let him go 20 years ago. Now, did you fall in the camp of coach and, and kind of get distanced from
0: the school? Where, where did you fall? Oh Yeah. I was, I was a coach night guy for sure.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and how long did it take you personally to kind of make amends with being able to come back and and support the school again or, or have you yet?
0: (laughs) Well, I go to games once in a while, but I've been pretty vocal about who they've hired I mean, I was yeah. not happy about the Kelvin Sampson thing. And I said it yeah. and I got, I got skewed in the paper for it. But, and then when he got fired, I, I said it, you know, I mean, he, uh, Kelvin Sampson was a terrible hire. Horror.
3: Couldn't agree more.
0: Um, ruined the, ruined the program. I mean, you know, and then Crean comes in and, and Crean really kind of did a great job. Um yeah, I gotta tell you, I wasn't, I, I was pretty vocal with uh, the AD about uh, Archie Miller, as far as you know. Hey, look, it's time to bring in an IU guy. Uh, right. why, why is everybody scared of a Bob Knight guy? Let's go get a Dane Pfeiffer, Michael Lewis, or if Alfred wants, you know, let's let's go with that. Because guess what? Then the crowds are going to be okay. You're going to buy yourself four or five, six years. You know, I mean. One of the biggest things that, that I think is tough is is these guys in these mid majors gets on they get on a couple runs in the NCAA tournament. A guy like Shock Smart, well what nobody realizes is Shock Smart is a 12 seed. He wins the 5-12 game. Okay, great. Well the 13 beat the 4 and he beats the 13. Now they're in the Sweet 16. Okay, if he's such a great coach, why would they finish third in their conference? You know, so why is this guy a great coach? He hadn't done anything. He wins a couple games in the NCAA tournament. Big deal. Well, you know, and so um I don't know. I just I just thought after the Samson deal or after Crean, um that it was time to go in a the direction of let's bring an IU guy back. You know, right. maybe bring a Whitman back with a protege of Dane Fife, you know I mean I just I just felt like that was the deal, and, and they never really gave me those guys a, a fair shake. No. I mean, they just wanted Fred good. Glass
3: did not want to do that. Oh, he
0: didn't. He didn't. And Fred Glass was great to me. He Fred Glass was really good to me. Anytime I came down, he he was good to me. But I just – I mean, I called Fred, and I told him. I said, I just think you're making a big mistake here. What, what's wrong giving an, an XIU guy an opportunity?
3: And it's been three years now with Archie. Where where do you stand on the on the team right now?
0: You know, it's and, and I don't know if it's a different era, and obviously it is, but I thought Archie would be way more demanding on the players. Um now, was that because he didn't have a lot of guys or they weren't his recruits? But I just would I just thought he because he was a gritty tough player. Um uh, yeah. and I just thought he would be more like me where he would just get on guys and then you know if guys didn't perform hey look you're sitting i don't care i am mean, i you know we're not winning with you so why am i playing and i and i just i just never understood and i still don't to this day the leeway that guys get when they're playing bad and you're losing why do they keep starting why do they keep playing give some of these right. other guys some chances um and, and, but and for i those think on
2: the bench they learn they learn what they need to do to get back into the game. There's well,
0: consequences. It, it ain't even so much learning as it is you'll play a hell of a lot harder because nobody wants to sit. Right.
1: But, <laughs>
0: um, you know, I think, uh, boy, a couple years ago when they got blasted by Michigan at home, I just thought it was the most embarrassing performance I'd ever seen from an Indiana team. They they were down 17 nothing or something like that. And he never yeah. called a timeout. And not only that – He didn't make any changes. I would have yanked those five guys out, and they would have sat the rest of the half. I would have put in whoever, and I would have told those five, hey, look, we're down 17 nothing at home. You guys aren't playing again. And I would have put in five new guys and watched them just bust their ass, and I would have told those five starters, you're done. And Because that's what he should have done. I mean, that was the most embarrassing display of basketball at Indiana, and I was so disgusted at that point. And then last year I thought the team responded and they, they battled and, and they played hard and uh, they had some fight to them. And uh, I think, I think even this year now it's all his guys. I, I, I and I, and I could be dead wrong. Cause I don't know. I, I've never talked to Archie, but I think he was really worried about guys transferring. I just, mm-hmm. I just think he was really worried about getting on some of these guys, and not playing and guys end up leaving as it is. But you know, I, I think this year's team, and hopefully they'll get to play. I think they're going to be pretty good. Um, I hope so. We and, need it, and I, I think mean, uh, <laughs> so. Here's why, and here's why I think that. I. Everybody's always been looking for their role since Archie's been here. You mm-hmm. know who's going to be the lead guy? Well, okay, was it going to be Romeo? Blah 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 blah. And not really. Is it Devontae Green? Blah, blah, you know? I think now everybody's going to know that's going to be. Uh, um trace Trace, um he's gonna be the guy they got decent guard play they're getting older Durham's gotten better every single year which I think is a sign of pretty good coaching um yeah I mean and I think they'll I do I just think they're gonna have a good year and I think they'll be uh yeah I think they'll be competitive I did see a thing the other day where they were picked like sixth or seventh in the big 10 is the big 10 gonna be that good this year
3: that's, That's what the they word. say. They they, That's they, the word. they Man.
2: consistently come around and saying, you know, as brutal as it was last year, it's gonna be the same this year. And a lot of those guys came back like Garza, too bad for us.
0: Yeah, so I don't know. I I just think they'll have um I I I just there'll there'll be more guys that know their roles. Um, and I think that always helps in a team. I really do. I just think that is uh now you fit in and you and you and you create a team and it's not five players, it's a team and guys doing what right. they need to do. So yeah, I mean I you know and I yeah,
3: it has not felt like we've had that.
0: But it, has yeah, it not hasn't, felt it like hasn't that. because everybody when you're losing, everybody's trying to find, you know, the way to go and you gotta get some of that momentum. And so, you know, I've heard all my buddies, oh, we need to get rid of Archer and well, you know what, you gotta give the guy a chance. You gotta give him four or five years. I mean, right, you know, you can't tell after two now, like I said, the thing that's disappointed to me is I just thought he would be I just expected him to be more demanding of the players. And I think I, that's fair. And I haven't seen yeah. that. What um, did
3: it mean to you to see Coach Knight return oh, that was to great. That Assembly
0: Hall? I wish you would have done it 10 years ago. But, um, yeah, no, that was really fun. That was a fun day. It was a fun day to get together with everybody. Um, that was just, uh, yeah, that was that was a neat experience. And nice. I wish you would have done it 10 years prior because – I think there's a lot, you know. Most of the students that were at the game, they don't know who, they don't really. I mean, they've heard of the, the folklore stuff, but you know. Right. Um, so yeah, that was neat. It was good. That was a, It was a, It was just a fun day. It was. We we met
3: except for the game. Well, except for the you know game. what, and we mentioned re-
0: the game. We didn't really watch the game. We. Uh, <laughs> um, now one of the things that I'm I am really pissed off about, and this bugs me. But Archie Miller should have had those players after that half that they played, he should have had those players out there watching that whole deal. And he should have said, this is what you guys are letting down. This is what built Indiana basketball. You need to get out here and you need to see this. And he didn't do it. And I I don't know why he didn't do that. Those guys should have been out there watching that. I agree with that. That's my personal opinion. And I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I just, I, I would have especially after the well, way they finished the half. I would have blasted him. I was also going to say, whatever he did in the half didn't work. Yeah. I mean, I mean they
3: came out and shit the bed in the second we half. We hardly so.
0: watched the first half because we all got there at noon and we were catching, and then we went in and watched the second half, and it was pretty bad. And, um, but it was just fun catching up with all the guys. I mean, it, it was, that was a great – that was a fun day. A lot of fun. And, and do you think
2: that makes it easier going forward? For you and some of the other guys so loyal to Coach Knight to feel feel better about being back there,
0: you know i never I never had a problem of feeling bad going down to a game and watching a game. I mean, I don't know, I always just tell me hey, I'm a baseball player <laughs> <laughs> i mean I no I mean I, I mean I would go to games and i, I didn't you know I, I i I mean the true fans. I mean, they they loved you. Um, now, I didn't go down nearly as much, and it wasn't because of that, but it's because I had kids that were playing games, and I'm not going to go down and watch Indiana basketball when I could go watch my own kid. And no chance. Right. So, um, you know that. So I I'd probably go down maybe twice a year. Is it where I used to go down a lot? But yeah, you know, that would have changed. You know, Coach and I was still coaching with my. Kids got involved in their sports and stuff like that, I would I wouldn't have gone down to games.
2: I, I would go to games before going to my own children's games, but they're terrible. My kids they're terrible, terrible, terrible <laughs> athletes like me. So well, there's no <laughs> chance,
0: no chance I would have ever missed one of those to go to an IU game. Now, now I will say this. I did, I was out and I had a trip and I was watching my son play out in New Jersey, and I did come home early. I watched him play Friday night and I got on the plane when Whitman called me about the night thing. He said, well, I'm getting this there set up. Go. You got to be there. And so I I did take the flight and came home. Well, that
3: that that's special. But then I got to there watch
0: my true. son on the, it was streamed, so I got to watch him that night play. There so, you go. Oh, there
3: it is. <laughs> well, look, Joe, like I said, I was a 10-year-old kid watching you win the national championship. I was a 12-year-old kid watching you help lead a team that, that, like you said, had a roster that was fragile and have an incredible year and win the big 10. And when I think of Bobby Knight and what Bobby Knight meant to Indiana and what he wanted for Indiana, there are a few players that stick out to me and you are absolutely at the top of that list. You improved every year. You did. You were a leader on the court. When you didn't score, you were doing everything you could to help the team win, whether it was defense, assists, rebounds, just being a good teammate. Watching your career at Indiana when I was a kid coming up and falling in love with Indiana was a pleasure. And honestly, it's an honor to talk to you because you do embody so much of what I thought an Indiana basketball player was supposed to be, even though you come from Glendale, California. (laughs) And so – I just want to thank you so much for taking literally three and a half hours with us when it is one thirty in the morning, a new Hoosier hysterics record, by the way, for any guest. Congratulations. Congrats. Well, well I hope that makes State. for a good show then <laughs> it will. It is a good show, but no. again, I just wanted to thank you. Joe. Yeah, you no, thanks for all, all the, thanks
0: for all the kind words. And thanks for, uh, going through this. This was fun. Um, uh, basically I'm sitting up here and, uh, been talking to you guys and I got the, uh, us open golf on tape. and watching that. And, uh, but I, I love talking about this stuff cause it just brings back memories and, and I love telling the stories and it's just fun. I mean, it's, uh, so I appreciate all, like I said, I appreciate all the kind words and, uh, you guys ever need anything, just give me a call, let me know, and, uh, we'll see what we can do. All right, Joe. I, I hope
2: we can get back there soon, and you can get us out on the course and and show us how to get our handicaps
0: down. Yeah, the new IU course is unbelievable. It's great. Yeah, yeah. you like that? Oh God, they did a great job with that. I know the. I know the. Um, actually, uh, I've been really good friends with the. Uh, designer Steve Smyers because he designed the golf course at Wolf Run that I belong to for years up here in Zionsville. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it is fantastic. They did, they got a made, they got a championship golf course there. They'll be holding big 10 championships of that course. Oh that's great. Maybe so,
2: we should have you take us to a par three, Joe. Or
3: oh yeah. Or a putt putt. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't like any course that doesn't have windmills on it.
2: Hysterics? Hysterics?
3: Joe Hillman. Two Big Ten titles, national championship, honorable mention, AP all-American, second team all Big Ten. Bobby Knight says we wouldn't have won the championship game without Hillman. Bobby Knight says he should have been the MVP of the Big Ten Conference. Uh, I mean, there just are so many legends that have played for Indiana basketball. And I went back and watched the Syracuse game uh, and the UNLV game in preparation for this again. Mm -hmm. Also, like, I need an excuse to watch those games. Right. But, man, like, Joe, not flashy. Joe Cool, man. That's what my dad would call him, Joe Cool. And no mistakes like didn't make a mistake, didn't try to do anything flashy, made the right pass, you know, stayed in front of his man, uh, made the open shot. And it is amazing how much that is needed for winning teams. And it's hard to think about Indiana basketball for the last many years and name players that fill the Joe Hillman role. You know what I mean? It's hard to think of them. And... And yes, we've had stars. I mean, we've had more NBA players in the last, what, 15 years of Indiana basketball than we had for a long, long time.
2: The first name that came to mind recently, and this is sad, was Coverdale.
3: Yes, I think that is a perfect example. That, you couldn't have come up with a more perfect example of somebody that fits the Joe Hillman role. And what happened with the Tom Coverdale? They, we went to the championship game. Pretty good run. Pretty good and we run. won the Big Ten. Yeah, I think that's a great... I think that is a perfect, perfect uh, analogy. That was 18 years ago. Jesus. (laughs) Look, I also love his sense of humor. I love the guy that, I love that he doesn't care what he says. Like, he just says it.
2: Uh, Our stock and trade here, love getting into um, both, like, the breakdown of the game, which you and I cannot do, uh, and then the great stories. And he had those in spades. Like, he was just, like, you could tell, like, he could have gone for another three hours with just everything that would pop into his mind about how they broke down a team, how they made, you know, their offense work against a certain defense. And then, oh, yeah, this one time I was in the hallway and coach said this. It was like, that's it, man. That's what we're here
3: for. And and he couldn't stop it. I loved hearing about Pete Newell. Yeah. Because that is a guy that coach would talk about all the time revered him like revered him and how many people did he truly revere not that many he revered Fred Taylor I wanted
2: to ask Joe if Knight ever got into like talking baseball with him because he was buddies with Ted Williams was Knight ever trying to like give Joe batting tips that he heard from Ted Williams
3: that's funny we should ask him that we'll follow up with that we'll do a part two with him for another six hours yeah um I I just love hearing about Pete Newell because we, I don't think he's come up one time on our podcast and he is such a guy that was important to coach Knight. Coach Knight's written about him, talked about him, welcomed him into the team, sat him on the bench at times. So I, and, and in practices, he was, he was attended many IU practices.
2: He he was a mentor really.
3: He was, he was Knight's mentor. He, he helped Knight developed the motion offense that Knight used and the way he used it. Like he he was inspired by a lot of the principles that Pete Newell taught. So I loved hearing that. Um, gotta love talking to a guy from Glendale. I mean, number 44, baby, from Glendale.
2: Represent. Uh,
3: and I loved his – I loved how he talked about playing with Lyndon Jones and Jay Edwards. I thought that was yeah. really cool. Yeah. I thought that was – I mean, these are people from totally different backgrounds, right? Jay and Lyndon played for Marion, right? Yep. Joe's from – Hoover High School in Glendale. Joe's a fifth year senior. Lyndon and Jay are kind of young upstarts, you know, that are thinking they're going to take over the program. And somehow they formed this very cool, different three guard lineup that Knight had never used before, really. Uh, it's very cool. I, and, and I loved going back to what Joe said at the beginning of the podcast. He talked about how cool it is That all these guys from different eras that he didn't even play with—Brian Evans, Ted Kitchell, Randy Whitman—they're all friends.
2: Imagine this: imagine you were sitting at a table with Joe Hillman and Brian Evans, and four and a half hours go by, and you haven't had to
3: say one word. (laughs) (laughs) That—that is what would happen. That is what would happen. Oh, it'd be amazing. Special, special stuff, man. Special times. 87, that 89 team. I recommend people go back and watch 89 games that are on YouTube because it is one of the most overlooked teams because it was right after the t- tournament, the, the championship, and right before the next wave of great teams.
2: But 20, 20 out of 21 games, that's, that's in very
3: rarefied air. And beating number 12-ranked team, number 6-ranked team, number 14-ranked team, like they were a very solid team. But like Joe said not the talent to support that. It it was a coaching, you know, it was coaching magic. And it was a team of players that all gelled together because they understood their role. And I just hope we can see something like that starting on November 25th. Let's go. And you know what? Obviously, Joe had no
2: qualms speaking his mind about where the program's been since and where it's currently at and for him to one say hey he needs you know even like five six years you know
1: or, well, or no, four well, or
2: four, five, four, five. yeah yeah, yeah we're, we're about to hit four he definitely did not say three but just saying but,
3: uh, i never said i never said fire him after three you said I you don't would know. put work you you're right would know. i so i what, said i would know
2: so what's the verdict we, eric
3: we we never finished three
2: uh-huh uh-huh. Uh-huh. Asterix
3: yeah, Asterix. yeah, two point two
2: point eight. Mm-hmm. Excuses are like assholes. Listen, listen. I got this a big was, one. This was the point. <laughs> 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 Fantastic! You 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 changed it. You made it
1: yeah. different yeah. and
2: better now and fresh. <laughs> All right, great. Um, the point being is that Joe sounded positive and optimistic about this season, this team, where things are headed. They're older, you know, Al traces the guy, people should be knowing their roles. So that uh, being the kind of guy who, yes, I want to be, uh, in that camp of optimists that I, I naturally fall into, but when it's actually backed up by somebody who knows his business, I'm like, oh, so Joe sounds kind of optimistic. So so that gives me a little more permission to be so as well. And and I, I hope for all our sake that he's right about that.
3: I also hope for all of our sake that he gives us some stock tips. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no, I mean. I just throw a brother a bone.
2: I'm I'm guessing a man with the kind of brain he has And the time he's put in on that now and to say, hey, I'm going to go do this on my own with my buddy. uh, He's probably really good at what he does. Um, And if anybody does, after listening to this, decide to, you know, go with him, certainly I think we get a piece of that, right? That's how that business works.
3: I think we get a piece no matter what, because we're, we should just get a piece. He he, He did say he would be a sponsor. Yeah, I mean, look, we'll we'll shamelessly ask people for their money.
2: And the way we were so professional and killed the IU glassware plugs, well, who wouldn't want to sponsor us?
3: Exactly. I mean, my God. There's <laughs> glassware from coast to coast with IU logos on it. Uh, I, I mean that. There, there's, there's ours on this coast, and then the goons bought some glasses on the East Coast. So there are glasses that we sold or are responsible for coast to coast.
2: I, I still... I, I know I'm playing with fire by doing this, but I basically don't use any other glasses because I have my coffee in the morning uh, and I use one of those four glasses and then maybe I'll have some ice water during the day and then maybe a Coke Zero at night. And and re- and really the only hesitation I have is uh, I'm more likely to break these sooner by how much I use them, but, but I don't care. I could get hit by a car tomorrow. I'm gonna use those pint glasses.
3: I still use Pizza Express cups.
2: I can't do plastic anymore.
3: Oh, really? Nope. Just doesn't taste as good. Nothing does. All right, guys. Follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics. No E, no I. But But the the sometimes sometimes, why? why.
2: From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. R.G. and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang on all the banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier
1: Hysterics.